Capes, Quitting, and Cosmic Cubes. Welcome to another exciting episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, a podcast where a Marvel comic book fan and a Marvel movie fan rewatch the MCU movies to explore the rich tapestry of the characters that, that have inspired these films from dating all the way back to the 1960s. My name is Rob Holden, a comedian, writer, and a confirmed Marvel comic book aficionado. I've been reading these funny books for good knows 30-odd years, and I am joined on the journey by the co-host, the man that makes it all possible, the man that's never read a Marvel comic book in his life. Pity him. It's Will Preston. Will Pity Preston, here for service. (laughs) Now... Uh, before we go any further, it's important because otherwise we're just wasting tape, Will. Otherwise, yep. we're wasting everybody's time. We need to do a format check. Okay. Yep. Is the format of the show intact? I have not lost my knowledge of Marvel Comics. <laughs> so I just need to double check with you. Have you gained any? Have you, how many comic, but Marvel Comics have you read in the last two weeks? Uh, none. I read half of Viz, if that counts. Half of Viz. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. <laughs> so the format is intact. You do your Viz podcast on your own time, Sunshine. <laughs> Just the format jokes is intact. For an hour. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you're listening for the first time, we, we rewatch a Marvel MCU film. We're rewatching them all in order. And I take the opportunity to use the, the kind of the trivia, the history uh, of the Marvel comics to, to lead Will by the nose slash hand all the way through the movie and explain some of the really exciting, cool, wacky, funny stories that have taken place and the rich trivia of these characters that were invented a long, long time ago and have endured and transformed the cinema world by becoming the biggest box office franchise in history. And we've been having a heck of a lot of fun doing that, blasted through Phase one of the MCU. All those episodes are up in the archive. You can check them out. We've even took a sexy little detour to a world before the MCU. Oh, yes. And we had so much fun doing that. We'll take it on Blade, Spider-Man, X-Men. And we are uh, careering through phase two right now. We've, we've put down Iron Man 3, one of the biggest performing box office movies that MCU did. We put uh, Thor The Dark World to bed. In the last episode, and now here we are at a well, a really exciting film. Um, oh yes! Just, I mean, aside from the plot, aside from the plot and, and the action and the excitement of it, the Russo brothers rock up into the MCU with this film, which will become, you know, fundamentally important as we as we take a look at those those ones that really changed the game. Talking Infinity War, talking End Game. So this is a landmark on our journey, Will. Yes. Does it feel like a landmark, this film? I, I feel I think it yeah. does feel like a landmark, uh, mainly because I think it's the first film of Phase 2 that felt how how Marvel films should be. This is the first, because I've gone through them all before, and when it came to this one, I knew I, I, I knew I liked this film. I've watched it before, I know I like it. But going through it, I was like, yes, this is how Marvel films are. This is how they are at their peak. That is a great explanation, a great perspective, because you're really right. This is, um, this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's the movie that kind of changes a lot, and it, and it changes a lot of the tones and the gears of the MCU. It, it's, it has so much excitement in it, 
it blows away the last film we tackled, Dark World, the Thor offering. It blows away even Iron Man 3, which did so well at the box office. Surprisingly well. I think it's perhaps... Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the power. As, we, as we've explored in these Phase 2 films, everything for Marvel changes with Avengers. That movie was the first billion-dollar hit they had. It was a film that captured people that had never seen any of the MCU films. They came to see this because the trailer was so cool, because it looked so exciting, having all these characters together, because there was so much hype about it, because the actual, you know, the, the fans had seen all the movies were so excited about it. It bled over into people who had not seen any of the Marvel movies. They all came out to see the Avengers, and they kept coming back because repeat viewings... You can go back to Gone with the Wind if you want to find the you know some of the early examples of box office hits, ladies and gentlemen. And I know what I'm talking about. I studied contemporary U.S. cinema. <laughs> I ain't no slob. But you can go back all those all from from Gone with the Wind to Avatar. You want to talk about movies that make real serious bank at the box office? It is movies that inspire people to go back and watch again and again. And the Avengers seriously did that. Summer blockbusters do that. Jaws did it. Star Wars did it. Um, the Godfather did it. It's these films that people want to go back throughout the summer to watch again and again and again. And the knock-on effect of that we saw bleed over into Iron Man 3, which just was a, a, a financial phenomenon, even if we thought it was creatively a little a little limp. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the power of the Avengers bleeds on into all the films in the... Uh, the MCU. We'll switch it up, Will, since we're there already. We'll come back to our first one in just a sec, but since we're talking figures and numbers, um, have you got some stats for us uh, on the production side, on the cash cash money side for this offering? Oh, the cash money is, is very rich with this one. So, obviously, we talked about how much Avengers made, because that was a big deal. And then, of course, Cat, uh, Iron Man 3, of course, made quite a surprising amount that was near to the Avengers. But let's have a look at Captain America, the first Avenger, 2011, budget of $140 million US. Now, the box office uh, takings of that was $370.6 million US dollars. So obviously, and that's worldwide, right? Oh, sorry, yeah. that that's that's worldwide. Yeah, that's that's the box office. That, that is, yeah, that's the worldwide figure. Yeah, that's the worldwide figure, which is the key one. Yeah, no, that's right. I'm just I'm just making sure. Yeah, yeah, that's the key one. Now that isn't the three times amount that get that gr- that grants you a a sequel, but I think because it was successful enough and part of a fran- the, the major Marvel franchise, they were going to do a sequel anyway because it would have uh, tied in with everything. It's a completely different model uh, to how you do it. However. However, with Captain America: The Winter Soldier, 2014, uh, a slightly more, but slightly bigger budget, 170 million US dollars, and the box office was a whopping 714.4 million dollars. Wow! So, do do we hit the threshold then? I think Talk plain numbers to someone with discalculator. Discalculator. <laughs> That's dyslexia with numbers for the OCU. Uh, my mum. My mum's. Yeah, my mum's. Yeah, I have that. an adult learning disability. Yeah, I, I would say that that definitely passes over three times. I mean, seventeen times. That's uh, thirty-four. Yeah, that that, that that possibly that's possibly four times at least. Everything makes more money in phase two. That's what yeah. we've come to learn so far. I, I did a little a little sneaky 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 cheeky poo on this as Ooh, well. Cheeky poo. Thor. Thor. So Thor The Dark World yeah. made $195 million more than the first Thor film. So mm. from phase one to phase two, 
You roll the dice again with Thor, you make $195 million more. That's the Avengers effect. Yep. Winter Soldier, the Cap film, this compared to the last one, it's $344 million more. <sighs> yeah. So this is, I think that's indicative of something. And I'm not sure what, Will. Uh, I think, I think that this character connected with people, even though the Captain America the First Avenger is one of the lowest performing Marvel movies, I think it connected with people. And I think it did that in the Avengers as well. And th- there must be something about this story that they're telling that got people to flood in, in ways they... They kind of didn't, you know, for for the, for the Thor films, they didn't. Thor Thor two didn't make a huge lot more new fans, whereas this one really did. I I would say, especially with this film, Captain America, on comparison with all the other Marvel uh, comic comic universe films, it's more grounded in reality. I mean, we'll go into more detail about this one, but there were times where I was like, oh, that's a very good nod to something that genuinely did happen. And it, it, it's almost like the, it, it's not satire. It's just it's bits where they go, this this world they're in is very similar to ours, and there's dirty deeds and regrettable things that have been done in the name of, name of greater good, and it, and it allows for that nice but not too complex duality and ambiguity of what is ooh. good and evil. Ooh, ooh. Look at with some big words being thrown around here, folks. Willie's got oh, his big Willie words P out. Coming to analyze stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're bang on, man. I think you're bang on. You yeah. know, uh, and I'm going to put it out there. I don't know whether I say this for the end. I'm, I'm going to say it right up top. Captain America is the only perfect movie franchise in the MCU. There's not a dud. There's not a single dud movie. Admittedly, there's only three, but I don't think I think I think they also kind of get better with every one as well. I think it's a perfect yeah three movie yeah. three movie pitch. Um, well, Civil War so was so go. I don't think Civil War was so good that it felt like an Avengers film. That's God. That's yeah. that's that's yeah. what was but so that's good. Yeah. A story for another day. Yep, yeah, we'll we'll hand that later. We'll hand that later. What we want to do <clears throat> before we uh, go any further is. Take a look into the mind of a muggle, folks. You join me now. I'm joined by a confirmed muggle in the uh, in the Marvel sense of the term, Mr. Will Preston. Will, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Always Can a you pleasure. just uh, let us know you're a muggle? That's right. In this capacity, you are a muggle. I I I I I, I prefer the term basic bitch geek, but we'll go with muggle. <laughs> you're going to have to go back and bleep that. Uh, just FYI. Um, <laughs> you see, you do it to yourself. You do it to yourself. I'm sat on my hands here making sure I don't drop them and you so we, we tend to do this when we're exploring a new character and, and, and try and get a sense of what a muggle makes but we did that with the first Captain America movie mm. and we saw what your take on that was which is something we'll get into a little bit later on but I'd be interested to know that since seeing him again in the Avengers when this movie came out what how would you had your opinion of Captain America changed you know, what did you think of, of him after the first movie and after the Avengers? How do you view him going into this one? Well, that's the thing. I, I, as I said, I really enjoyed Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, and I wanted to see more of him. But I think at the time, what I wanted to see more of was him in the 40s. I, I know that sounds... Ah. 
but this is this is why when it came to the Winter Soldier, I saw the trailer, saw what it was about, and it's like, oh, it's Captain America, but he's in modern times, and immediately I went, I don't fancy that, and I really regret wow. thinking that at the time because I regret not seeing it at the time, but. I remember just thinking, no, I don't. I, 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 the spark's gone. I liked, I liked the forties uh, period drama backdrop of it. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's the, one of the most unique and interesting um, <clears throat> aspects of of Phase One. It really is because it. I I it, I think if Thor had been set entirely kind of in the nine realms and avoided Earth, mm. then that could have had a very interesting dynamic as well. Yeah, you could have had these these interesting different takes. You know, one in the forties, one bouncing around the nine worlds, and then you know Thor, uh, Iron Man, and, and Hulk kind of being more in the in the modern world. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting um, aspect to the character. But I do want to check in because you know when you when we first, when we if you go back as people keep doing in the archives, we're seeing the downloads. Oh. Those things keep ticking on every single week. People are checking out those episodes, whether it's a re-listen. Whether they check him out for the first time, it's really exciting to see that. But you came to the character like a lot of people did, especially a lot of non-Americans did. When you hear the name and hear the idea of the character and see the costume, your initial reaction is, that looks silly and ludicrous. Yeah. And kind of weirdly gung-ho, rah-rah patriotism, right? So what I'm interested in is, is like how that opinion has changed since... Going into the first one, like the first movie, like that, and then on the back of those two, d- d- you, uh, presumably you don't view him as a silly character when this movie starts off. Uh, when this movie, you mean this current movie starts off? No, he's not a silly character for me anymore. I think he, without meaning to be a pun, he's earned his wings. He's earned his wings, Captain America, by the Ooh. end of the first. You know what I mean? See what I did Golf there? Clap. Golf clap, everyone. Golf clap. Yeah, now who's the muggle Excellent now? Uh, <laughs> 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 no, I, I, I think, because you know my initial feelings with the first Captain America film. I thought this was going to be a tone-deaf, uh, sort of pe- jingoistic thing, uh, the first film. That's what I thought it was going to be like. But no, it wasn't. It, they actually addressed that, that element of it and made it, sub- made it something even greater. And for me, uh, I, 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 he could have come back with the wings on his helmet, uh, and I still would have said, "Ah, it's fine. That's not silly." Yeah, he, he earned the right to do whatever he wanted after the first one. Well, let's take a little look into the kind of a bit more of the publication side, the publication history of Captain America as we approach. Uh, the Winter Soldier and, and get ready to press play on that big fat VHS that got loaded into the, the video player. And I think it was appropriate when, when when looking at publication things to talk about to take a minute to to, to appreciate Captain America's rebellious nature mm-hmm. and to look at some of the stories that do that because that's really what we see begin and, and, and kick off really here in, in the Winter Soldier, this rebellious streak of Captain America. And there's a tendency, as we, we we chatted about in in the first Captain America film, especially from non-comic book fans, and especially from from those of us in Europe and, and abroad from America, to look at the name and the costume of Captain America and make these assumptions that he is pro-America no matter what, that he's a government lapdog, a, a bootlick, yeah. that kind of a that kind of a, an impression he gives off. And the comic book character will could not be further from that. Um, he 
repeatedly, it, it's emphasised that, that Captain America takes his inspiration directly from the rebels that founded the country and, and yep. did so through acts of terrorism against the British. And, and, and Cap firmly and proudly believes that a true patriot identifies what is wrong with his country and fights against oh, it. Oh, yes. It's not, it's not a, um, you know, a, a complete acceptance of whatever's happening, especially by authority. Anti-authority is a big, a big part of that. And corruption and these things play a big role in the comic books. Um, and we see some times that Cap has really turned completely against his, his government, but not his country. 1978... Um, there's a story by uh, Steve Angelhart and, and Sal Buscema. Cap is, is battling against a, a criminal terrorist group called the Secret Empire, mm. who are a bit like Hydra, but they're a bit more secret somehow. And and during that big... that Well, not terribly big story, but during that plot line, Cap finds out that the leader of the Secret Empire is actually a high-ranking government official. This guy uh, crashes a flying saucer into the White House lawn, <laughs> runs into the White House wearing a like a, a another KKK inspired hood, um, uh, runs into the Oval Office, and and Cap rips his his hood his mask off. Now we the reader never see this guy's face. We are told he's a the highest ranking government official you can think of. Right? Mm. It is strongly hinted that this guy is the president. Yeah. That the president is actually uh, a terrorist working and running the secret empire. It is a Nixon allegory. It is all tied in with the Watergate corruption scandal that had taken place in the last couple of years. Um, there are illusions that this person has taken the country into very dangerous, dark areas. That's that's a Vietnam, you know, allegory. Yeah, allegory. Yep. So it's kind of hinting that the the corrupt elements of America are to do with this kind of almost supervillain character. He then blows his brains out in, in the white in the Oval <laughs> Office in the White House, and the rest of the government cover up the president's the, the not the president's death, the high-ranking government official's death, and demands that Cap goes along with it. Mm. And Captain America cannot compromise on this, so he abandons his identity. And he walks away. He, he gives up the costume, he gives up the name, and he leaves because he refuses to go along and be a part of that. And he then adopts a new identity, um, a man without a country, and he calls himself Nomad. Yeah. And yeah. I am um, just now, Will, going to uh, pop you a little, uh, a little sneaky peek of uh, what Nomad looks like. And we'll put these images up, don't forget, in the blog over on Marvel, uh, patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Um, so I'm pinging these over to you. It is, you got, have, you, have you got that? It is not at all a, a, Marvel, a Marvel costume whatsoever. So Nomad has a deep V that goes, I mean, that V, that's the deepest V imaginable, right? That V goes all the way down to his belly button. That's the V of my dreams. Um, I wish I could have get away wearing <laughs> shirts like that, and I've tried, believe me, but people make fun of you. He has no mask. Oh, sorry, he does have a mask, but his, his blonde hair is showing at the top of the mask. Mm. And more importantly, he wears a cape. Yeah. Which is 
as you know from reading Marvel comics, is utterly, utterly not done. Aside from Thor, you know, and even that's kind of Thor's his own dude, his own guy. Uh, and there's also a famous scene where Cap, uh, Cap as Nomad trips over his own cape in the middle of a fight because he's, oh. he's not used to wearing it. He rip, um, he's ripping. So he, he becomes yeah. this nomad character rather than yeah. go along with the government's plans. And yeah, the, the as they are, are want to do, the government. I mean, it, it, he looks ridiculous, but he's standing up against the authority, and he's really taking a big stand here. The government replaced Cap with someone called Roscoe Simons, who was drafted in to be the new Captain America. Um, that doesn't go terribly well. He is not just tortured; he is crucified by the Red Skull. He is left hanging Ooh. on a crucifix, tortured to death. And the message from the Red Skull is that no one ever put on this costume ever again. <laughs> I, you know, your cat, your your hero was gone, and mm. there's only me left now. And I will do this to anyone that puts that on. And that draws Steve back to the character, to, to, to you know, to the to the role of Captain America. But it but it, it happens several times later. I mean, in 1987, the um, story by Mark Greenwald and Tom Morgan where. Captain America starts to become disillusioned with the government and with always being used with a military end in sight. So he wants to reach out to the people and he sets up and funds something called the Captain America Hotline. Now, folks listening at home, this is before the World Wide Web. This is before before social media, before personal telephones. The only way to get in touch with these with a lot of people were to call these call centres and these hotlines. So Cap funds his own call centre, and <laughs> anyone of the public who who needs help will call the Captain America hotline and speak to one of his operators. And if the uh, the, the situation is dire enough, Captain America will come and sort it out. Now it's probably not plumbing issues, but that was the whole deal: is that Cap wanted to become an agent of the people rather than an agent of, of a of a military design, and the government mm. hates it. The the Marvel comic book government cannot stand that Cap is is cutting them out of the picture and going direct to the to the to the to the people. And something that's been set up in Marvel, it's called the Commission on Superhuman Affairs, mm. and it's this thinly veiled allegory for the the House of Un American Activities Committee. You know the 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 one that operated. Um, throughout throughout the kind of the, the dark times of the fifties and the sixties, and through commun, you know, try to weed communism out wherever they could find it. And and th- this commission is set up to regulate all superhuman activity. And they basically the government goes to to Captain America and say, uh, the government own you. We own Captain America. Your powers, we own them. Yeah. Your costume, your name, the shield, every every penny of every income you've ever drawn. We're not that happy that you claimed twenty odd years of pension when you suddenly turned up out the blue. Um, so everything that you have is ours, and and we will sue you. And they threaten him with legal action unless he shuts down the hotline and becomes a wholly government agent again. And that's too much for Cap. He quits. He hands over the mask, the costume, the shield, and walks off. And he. Develops. He, he learns his lesson <laughs> from the nomad, and what he ad- he, he, ad- he adopts a new um, identity. He just simply calls himself the captain. Firing mm. this over to you now, Will, and it is a just a basically a, a different, almost color tone, a different take on 
the Captain America costume, and he has an adamantium shield instead of his classic one, and it's just it's like a black costume with red and a little bit of white knocking on. I think it's a stunning costume. It's a really cool costume, that one. That's one of the uh, costumes I kind of grew up reading. Yeah. It's the 80s. That's when Iron Man's got this silver centurion armour. We've got Grey Hulk in Vegas that we talked about. <laughs> Pimp Vegas Hulk. <laughs> We've got um, black costume Spider-Man. So there's a lot of that going on in the 80s. The government once again have Captain America replaced by uh, a- a- another agent... Um, and this one's interesting. So they, they replaced Captain America with someone called John Walker. Now, John Walker was originally a character called the Super Patriot. And the Super Patriot was a radical character in the 80s. Just take a moment to think about what this says back then and it's about what might be happening today. So the Super Patriot is a radical, right-wing, <laughs> yeah. angry, uh, aggressive, pro-US kind of, of character and he holds these he doesn't necessarily do a whole lot of being a superhero but he holds these big right wing rallies to get populist support he it's it's stated several times that his supporters are racist mm. but he denies having anything to do with them and and says they're just you know fringe elements of his of his supporters he's yeah. corporate sponsored he's a superhero <laughs> with corporate sponsorship um, and and he clashes with Captain America a number of times. That's the guy that the that the uh, U.S. government picked to become the new Captain America. That all falls apart again, and it turns out that the uh, the, the the commission for um, <clears throat> superhuman affairs is actually being influenced by the Red Skull the whole time, because <laughs> that's kind of a thing that happens a lot in Cap comics. Um, and then what happens then is uh, Steve Rogers becomes Captain America again. And um, John Walker takes that captain costume and becomes someone called the U.S. Agent. So, <laughs> Captain Very America, recent. Steve Rogers... Oh, I think it was a cool name, U.S. Agent. U.S. Agent. Do you get yeah, it? I'm not yeah, sure you get yeah. it, Will. I let, get me, it. let me break it down for you again, right? It's not U.S. Agent, it's U.S. Agent. You have to say it like that every time. It's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a clever pun that just gets cleverer every time you say it. So... What we see with these with these kind of stories is mm. that Captain America is not ever under the heel of the government or any authority. Mm. He knows in his heart, as we said before, he, he's Gary Cooper in High Noon. He knows deep in his soul what is right and what is right for the country and what is wrong, and he just acts whether that will turn everyone in power against him or not. We see more of that in the superhuman civil war in the comic books but obviously that's that's something we need to save for that movie, which is another Captain America movie. Really excited to uh, to get in that direction, and this is the movie that moves us in that direction. But you know, we 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 got it. We got to take care of a little business first, Will, because the uh, the telegrams don't stop around these parts, do they? We, oh, we switched no. to our new schedule um, with an episode every couple of weeks instead of once a week, which we did for you during the the high point of lockdown but the letters don't stop the telegrams don't stop i can see you got something in front of you right there my friend uh, i do so uh let let you know re- 
Tell me what the, what the fans have been saying. Reach out to me as they've reached out to us. Well, some fans reached out to us. I can tell you that uh, we got a letter here from Adam Joyce. He reached out in to say, Hi, guys. Be keeping up with the pod and love the show. Dropping an email because I was wondering if you were going to cover the one shots that feature on the DVD and Blu-ray releases as they are, in theory, canon due to being released. But at the same time, not many people are aware of them because who buys DVDs? Am I right? And the last one released would have, in-universe, been directly after Iron Man 3. While a couple are just quirky extras, some hold some more weight to them. All Hail the King clears up all... clears up all Mandarin controversy. I'd also ask about the comic book tie-ins, but that feels uh, like just reaching. Also noticed on the Avengers pod, you missed out a big bit of Avengers trivia. Avengers 1 was released in September 1963, but it was originally supposed to be Daredevil 1. However, there were delays with the character that caused Marvel to throw the team together on short notice to meet a deadline. Keep up the good work. P.S. Something that Rob might like. On my Facebook is a British wrestler whose gimmick name is Titan K. That was Hemsworth's stunt double in The Dark World. Ooh. Well, I did know sort of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Thank you for getting in touch, Adam Joyce. Um, Titan K is not, unfortunately. I mean, it sounds like, oh, he's a wrestler, but he's not like a wrestler anyone's heard of. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, he's, he's a guy, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that is a, is a, a cool connection. Um, now, I have to admit, I've heard bits of that uh, Avengers Daredevil delay story in the past. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll look into it a little bit further. But I'm I'm not I'm not sold on it. But as a as a story, uh, which will annoy. It's one of these ones where it's fifty fifty as to whether it, it did it was it entirely that was it not? Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll look into it a little bit more. What I think is really interesting um, about that. Thank you for the letter. Is the idea that there's Marvel stuff we haven't discovered yet will these one shots i was about to say yeah there's a lot of stuff marvel stuff i haven't discovered mate come on <laughs> i mean movie wise movie wise okay, there's, okay. um, yeah. there's these bonuses on the dvds for us to look at and that might be interesting that could be a an exciting um an exciting uh, podcast or maybe a bonus episode who knows so thank you for bringing that to our attention i think we, we should do that we would have to we God, should, yeah if i gotta buy a dvd is that what I'm, is that what's gonna happen? If you're listening out there, guys, um, help us out. Do a little research. Do a little. Uh, you know, we're gonna crowd. We're gonna uh, you know crowd surf, crowd service crowdsource this problem. Can you find out? Is there a is there a resource a way for us to watch these bonus things? Because I've not seen them on the uh, Disney Plus app. That might be a regional thing to do with the UK. Who knows? Is there a source? Uh, you know, a resource out there? Has someone got a, a hook up? A little sneaky video hookup to save your boys <laughs> some effort or some time or having to work out if I still own a DVD player because I'm not sure if I do. Um, so, yeah, shout out to, um, to to the fans out there. If you can uh, look into that, get back to us, that would be cool. Yeah. What else we got, Will? What else we got? So I was wait, waiting for you to say something. I was like, is he done? No, <laughs> he's taking a drink. <laughs> so we got another one Michael Wilson got in touch to clear something up from the Thor Dark World episode hey fellas long time listener first time emailer 
In Thor The Dark World, Odin suffers defeat at the hands of Malekith and has to go into the Odin sleep. Basically, he's having a big nap. Cheers. Oh. <laughs> that was a very succinct email. Oh, my own joke. Throwing my own joke back upon me. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, we both. That's that's odd. Like I'm not saying. I mean, it, it definitely happened. We've yeah, looked yeah. into it now, but we both missed that on the rewatch. Did we? Didn't we? We we both. Yeah. Are you? <laughs> I, I I okay. Do oh, you remember that? I'm trying. I'm trying to remember now. We. I I. So we got to the end of the, of of the of the last movie. Yeah. The Thor movie, and we could not work out what had happened to. To Odin, because I mean, both we watched the film. I just cannot. Neither one of us could recall a scene that explained what happened to Odin, and like we just we just couldn't piece together. But apparently, I mean, it, it certainly seems to be there in some synopsis write-ups. I've not gone back and re-rewatched the movie. Mm. Um, so thank you, Mikey, for dropping by with a little bit of knowledge for us. But I mean, it's not it's not in my memory at all, is it? Will no, I don't remember that. I, I think it's. I tried to remember it, then it was like, oh. That was what happened in the first Thor film. We saw that happen in the first one, not the second one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it was. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe it was such a similar scene of him going for his nap that we just assumed it. Yeah. So, we're, your boys are missing things. Um, we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, don't forget, you can um, drop us uh, any kind of message you want. Thanks to everyone that does. You can send us uh, feedback, fan mail, yes. thoughts, questions, suggestions, insults, <laughs> gratuitous photograph. No, don't do that last one. Uh, all you have to do is pop an email over to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. It's marvel versus marvel, and we spell versus the full way V E R S U S, just like it says on all their pictures and all that kind of stuff all over the podcast at gmail.com, and you can get in touch with us anytime you want and uh, who knows we might respond we might read it out on the air you never know but one thing you definitely do know is that we can't stop giving around here no what do you think Will can we stop giving no 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 No. it's not happening it's not happening no 11 episodes that's more than I've got fingers and hands (laughs) 11 episodes in 8 weeks over 21 hours of content, and we're just getting started on this journey. Because there's even more over on our Patreon site. That's patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Weekly blogs added that offer even more info, trivia, pictures. You'll be able to see Nomad and the Captain uniform. We will to see Nomad tripping over his own costume and all of that. Everything we talk about in the episode is up there. Plus bonus episodes, and those are just for our patrons that pledge their support and, more importantly, their cashola. Last week, uh, we added a a brand new bonus episode where we explored the nightmare that was the 1990s Spider-Man clone saga. You might recall from from the Spidey episode, I said to everyone, you know... When we danced around that the clone saga, don't don't do it on your own. Let us lead you through it. I got to lead Will. <laughs> I think I broke him. <laughs> it, it was an experience. It was an experience. 
What did you say about? It? You said it was the most convoluted thing. It was. It was. You've heard? It was the most convoluted. Yeah, yeah, I think that was. It was just the most convoluted storyline I've ever heard. It's like, oh, they just needed to sweep up the mess that they got. Whoa, the whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, right, yeah. Don't give anything away. I won't give anything away. They they wrote themselves in the corner and had to sweep themselves up away and caused an even bigger mess that they then had to sweep out. It- they wrote themselves into a corner, and then when they were in that corner, they wrote themselves into a smaller corner. <laughs> it's a wild tale of boardroom antics, business politics, and how that plays out on the page, and the most ridiculous decisions that keep getting made. Um, and and you, you can listen to that. You can only listen to that if you support the show. So you get to support the show and support us, and you get to get yourself some awesome bonus episodes as well. Um, and you can do that for just three sterling pounds per month and we're going to be looking at introducing some more rewards and some different tiers and things as time goes by but right now you can uh we're in the middle of of, of phase two of the journey and you know we love that detour and everyone else seemed to love that detour as well we think we've got more letters about more interactions about spider-man x-men and blade than nearly anything else so we're gonna do the occasional detour episode yes as we go on here we're not going to stop and do three like we did before, but every now and then we're on the journey. We're going to stop and we're going to do a detour episode. We're going to go outside the MCU, sometimes before the MCU. And right now, we're giving our pledging paying patrons the exclusive chance to pick and choose which non MCU movies we cover. <laughs> so if you're a patron, then you can. Send us a message and we will do it. We'll cover the episode. I, even if it's Howie the Duck, man, I am not going <laughs> to put that out there. I'm just saying. Whatever non-MCU Marvel project you send our way, movie you send our way, if you're a patron, we will cover it. Jack Isaacs is the first patron to do so. Jack said that our X-Men episode was his favourite one so far. He has re-listened to it a couple of times. So oh. he has used his patron power to demand... Demand, Will. <laughs> Demand. <laughs> As if we have no choice. That our next episode will be X-Men 2. Oh, How cool is that? It's my pleasure to cover that one. It's a many great film. Say, great film. <laughs> many say that the last of the good ones. So that's going to be... Um, <laughs> that's going to be fun. So, and if you want to pick which MCU movies we cover... Not MCU movies we cover, sorry. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Sign up, subscribe, give us your money, and then send us a message. And uh, and you're going to be in charge, not us. Oh, It'll yes. be you. Take the wheel. Take the wheel. And that's... that's Take the wheel. Speaking of taking the wheel. Will. Yeah. Speaking of taking the wheel. Business is covered. Bills have been paid. We thank everyone for their support. We put together a brand new exciting project that they can have direct involvement in. It's time to walk on over to that video machine, <laughs> push that VHS copy through that delicious slot. And if you will, will I will if you will I will will it is Captain America the Winter Soldier that lays before us. Press play and begin. Okay, the tape's rolling. Let's press play. Two years after the Battle of New York, Steve Rogers continues working as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
While out on a morning jog in Washington, D.C., Rogers frequently passes a man who later introduces himself as Sam Wilson, a veteran United States Air Force pararescue trooper who now works as a counsellor in the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. After the jog, Sam and Rogers share and bond over their common experiences in adapting to life after each serving tours in the armed forces. Black Widow arrives to recruit Rogers on a mission with her, with her strike team, led by Brock Rumlow, a S.H.I.E.L.D. ship which has been captured by a group of mercenary pirates. Rogers, Romanoff and other members of the strike force eliminate the pirates and rescue hostages. As Rogers engages in a one-on-one fight with the pirate leader, George Batroc, however, mid-mission... Rogers discovers that Romanoff had gotten her own secret mission from director Nick Fury to extract the S.H.I.E.L.D. intelligence from the ship onto a USB drive. So, this is a fantastic start to the film. I, I, I think... Oh. It's it, it, okay. You, it, it doesn't it doesn't waste time bringing you up to speed. You're already up to speed. He's training. You're introducing a new character, and immediately we've got the first we've got an opening bit of a video game playing out. That's how it feels. I I I, I was I was I was in it in it from the start. So what video game was it? Will well, if you're playing at home, that's the first video game reference of the episode. <laughs> we are one on video games. We're still zero on Simpsons episodes, and it's 40 minutes in. What's happening? Are you feeling okay, babe? I, I'm feeling okay, hon. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, before you get on to your, uh, you, what you have to say about these bits, uh, let me just say that this felt like the opening, and anyone else who plays video games knows exactly what I'm on about. This felt like the opening to Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, where, they, where the SAS team invade or you know, get aboard a tanker in the middle of a storm. And that level is fantastic because the whole thing tips over towards the end and you have to escape it as the whole thing's tipping. But this is how, this is how it felt. There's, there's been quite a few other games where you sneak aboard a ship, like, just like they do, and take people out at the sides before going below deck. Oh, it, just, it brought back so many good memories for me. Um, also... Before that, we got some nice light-hearted stuff. That you know, like him being uh, Sam Wilson being lapped by Rogers while they're running around was a nice bit of hey, yeah. he's superhuman, remember? And also Steve's list of things to catch up on was uh, was very. When you see on the list, it's like them. Yeah, was, man. It just made you. Re- it was like one it was like, one, one nice. Yeah. One one nice little to your point about the lack of catch-up, the lack of exposition. It's brilliant how they do it in this movie oh yeah because they just they start the film and they save all of that stuff for the smithsonian tour yes yes and it's this natural natural drop of info and exposition without it feeling like exposition that is just uh, you know you don't need to muck around start the movie you know boom big action. you know not literally at the start you let you catch your breath first mm. big action scene and um, and then they do the exposition in a really natural way. It's a wonderful. It's a really tight script. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. It, it it's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, I will say there was uh, there's also quite a bit quite a bit of humour in here as well. I think a lot of humour worked surprisingly well here, despite it being quite a serious film. And there was quite there was a a running joke about Black Widow trying to set up Steve Rogers with someone. Like how about her? The cute one, the cute one with the ponytail in HR, and then 
while they're in the middle of a fight on board the ship. And he just goes, search the engine room and then find me a date. <laughs> It, the way they the way they approach it is really cool, and they they do it in that that it's kind of um, this it, is hard to explain. I used to have a very grim and depressing job. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, not to get too far into it, but I, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. I, I used to have a very grim and depressing job, and that idea of gallows humour yep. is one hundred percent true. I got friends who who are uh, police officers, paramedics, and they're all the same. In between the moments of surging adrenaline and utter cripplingly depressing things that happen, you do have a laugh and a joke. And I think this mm. is uh, this feels like a more natural way of including the humour without it taking the tone of the film yep. into being Ant-Man, which is, I'm not saying that's bad, that's a funny film, right? Mm. But it... it, 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 it it keeps the moments of levity within a serious tone. Yeah, we're not a movie review show, but this is just a great film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does it right. Ant Man is, is is okay to do that because it is a bit it is a bit wacky. While this is a more serious film, so yes, this, this opening scene, the ship, great, and he fights the the pirate leader George Batroc. It's an awesome fight scene. I mean, the chore- choreography here is just fantastic. But Batroc is he a character from the comic books? Is he? Yes. Okay, he I'm surprised. He absolutely is. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, this is uh, Batroc the Leaper. <laughs> um, uh, the Stanley and Jack Kirby villain from, um, from the 1960s. He's a kickboxer, right? Yeah. He's a kickboxer, but it's the 1960s. Like, that that wasn't in pop culture at the time. Mm. I'm just going to ping you, Will, uh, a little picture of what Batroc Z Leaper looks like. Um, he, he's got he, he's a he's a swashbuckling character. He's got the swashbuckle boots. He's got the kind of swashbuckle mustache, and he speaks with the accent. <laughs> um, and he builds. <laughs> if you want to. If you want to laugh like Will, head on over to the Patreon site where you can see what he's laughing at. Um, he, he's built. It's sorry. a radical concept. So I'm really sorry. This is taken. It's yeah. It's it's a quite different from the movie, isn't it? Even his eyes got a moustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His eyes. His eyes have a moustache. What's wrong? <laughs> Because all French people, according to Stan and Jack in the 1960s, kind of have those kind of moustaches. So he, he, it's, the, it's the 60s, like Jean-Claude Van Damme is not a, a thing. Mm. So the he, he's it, it, kickboxing is a radical idea. And and they must have heard of, of this thing called Savate, which is, mm. you know, French kickboxing. And he's billed in the 60s as the man who boxes with his feet. And it's like, whoa, he just kicks? That's all he does? He just he kicks instead of punches? That's amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, Cap really respects his fighting ability. And Batroc is a mercenary, but he does have honour. He kind of, he, he's got, he wants to be like the romantic pirate figure. Yeah. Uh, which is hard to do in the real world. So he's, he's hired by Hydra, wants to... To beat Cap, let me kill him, and he insists that this is a one-on-one fight. And when Hydra decide that doesn't really work for them, and in the middle of the fight they just open fire on Captain America, 
Batroc flips and he turns on them and he's like, How dare you? <laughs> oh, without honor, I would kill him with my own hands. How dare you? So he teams up with Cap and like beats the crap out of Hydra. So he, he has he has an element of honor to him. He always like issues a challenge to Captain America and it's yeah. always like he'll draw him out into public and it's like, Come fight me one on one. I'm I'm definitely gonna beat you this time. Cap's thinking, it's been I've done this sixteen times now, mate. <laughs> and there's a nod to that. There's a, there's a nice nod to that in the movie where Batrock is kind of like, but maybe without your shield? Ooh, and Cap's like, huh, yeah. okay, let's see who's better. Puts the shield away and they have the cool fight. Um, sometimes uh, Batrock, the other cool thing about Batrock is that he sometimes has his own little gang of supervillains called uh, the Batrock Brigade. <laughs> and they're fun. That's, that's, that's Batrock. I'm just looking at pictures of him from the... He's one of my favourite cat villains. Really? He doesn't seem... Well, sa- yeah, because he's yeah. so... Because, you know... Because he's not a villain. He's like I don't know. He's 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 not a henchman either. He's like Catwoman. He's that. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, he's not evil. He's just you know. Yeah, he's he's an aggressor. I like him. He's, I, I'm looking at his costume yeah. uh, from the film, and they still managed to keep the purple. They've kept the purple on it. If you look, yeah, they the kept they, yeah. I, they, they 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 kept the note. I I was really pleased. They kept some of the tonal notes of it. Yeah, um, the yellow and the purple. Mm. He's got the he's got like a goatee, hasn't he? He's he's got got a little moustache and beard. Kind of almost an aspect. Yeah, mm. it's not. <laughs> it's not how he looks on the page. Yeah, um, but he they certainly there's no there's, there's no requirement for them to do quite that much with it. Yeah, but they they do, and and I I really as a as a comic book fan I really appreciated that they. Took the the time um, to do that. Um, did we did we talk? You know what? I don't know if I missed this out. I did want to talk about strike, and I I think we might have blown past it, and that could be my fault. Um, would you, uh, um we could we could we could talk about it talk about strike now or later. I mean, whenever you feel good about that. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it now. Well, just because just mm. because I can't see now if we've got it coming up, so uh, let's get into it now. I was. Uh, uh, you know what? We, we might screw this up later on, but we just have to skip it when we get to it. Um, I, I don't. So, oh no, we this have is the you, weird I, thing I, about strike. I think we have. Um, we we are coming up to it later. I've just seen we are coming up to the strike. Okay, later. I'll shut up then. Yeah, stay tuned for us talking about strike. Uh, I don't what, want to miss it because it's kind of fun. What you've just listened to there is uh, behind the curtain and how we operate. We have a big list of things to get through, <laughs> and thankfully, with the Control F function, I was able to uh, minimize embarrassment. Uh, which is what we're all about here at Marvel vs. Marvel. But then, folks, then, folks, he did a classic comedian MC trick where what he did is he got extra material out of the cock-up. It's a classic bit of stagecraft that you'll see from Willie P. Uh, make sure you book him for all your comedy shows when the virus is over. Yes, it's called Falling <laughs> with Style. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, things aren't going well between Cap and Fury. Back at the... Uh, now, I'm going to need help with this, Rob. Is it Trisk Triskelion? Triskelion. Triskelion. Back at the Triskelion. 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 Back at the Triskelion with ribs. Uh, <laughs> Rogers is angry <laughs> with Fury for lying to him. Fury, as a sign of trust, takes Rogers to the basement where he introduces Rogers to Project Insight. Project Insight consists of three next-generation shield Harry carriers that will neutralize enemy hostile targets from the sky. Fury tells Rogers that shield takes the world as it is, 
not as we like it to be. But Rogers responds that Ooh, this isn't burn, Cap, yeah, burn. this isn't freedom. <laughs> this is fear. What? Okay, we've already had a great opening. Like you, you know, you know, like the first ten minutes of a James Bond movie, where you have unrelated action, partly related action scene, then the titles, then the film kind of begins. You have that with this, and now we've now after that, yeah. things are still a good level. We have this nice conversation with Fury and Cap in the lift about his is it his grandfather who used to work as a as, a, as an elevator operator. I, I think it would have to be his dad. That is dad, yeah. And he said, he said, oh, he, he liked his job. He goes, time went on, neighborhood got got you know more violent, and then basically it's telling him how how his philosophy shaped by what happened to his dad. And immediately, it's it, no, well, he's not, he's not, he's not. No, oh, no, no. I've not minimised embarrassing. <laughs> Come on, what he's saying, what he's saying, is that Cap hasn't had the opportunity. To get hard, uh. right? Uwe misses. Cap went into the ice when the neighborhood was nice, when everyone was friendly, yep. and it, everyone was decent. And the idea of violent gangs and crimes and ter- you know that's when Cap did not have the benefit of seeing the neighborhood gradually, step by step, get worse. Cap did not have the benefit of Fury's father of step by step getting tougher yep. and meaner and more resolved. He, it, it, he's he's almost slapping Cap. He's almost treating Cap like a kid. He's he's kind of saying, you know, you're like my dad at the beginning, and you didn't, and you just walk out now, and you haven't got a gun. Is what he's yeah. saying. Yeah, you have to have the gun. Cap doesn't have the gun. It's like it's basically in that case. It's bring, he's bringing him up to speed on on, on uh, current, mo- yeah. modern modern day politics and military. It's oh, and, uh, scary. Yeah, cry everything. Yeah. Yeah, it, this is this There's is nice scenes in the in the yeah. in the ultimate comic version of of you know we talked about the ultimate comic yeah. uh, the ultimate Marvel universe is kind of a separate universe. There's a couple of nice scenes in there where Cap goes to try and live in his old neighborhood mm. in uh, in Brooklyn, and it's just it's like a war zone. <laughs> um, which I don't know if that's an I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of, of Brooklyn, quite frankly. But it was written by a guy from. Uh, from from uh, Britain, so he has no idea. But yeah, that that kind of idea that he's he just he'll go. You know, he doesn't quite get that the neighbourhood has changed. I I've been in Brooklyn for forty minutes. Uh, granted, I, I didn't go deep into it, but I got the I got the feeling that it was a lot like East London. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I, I. How long ago was that though? This was two thousand and seventeen. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So gentrification, G- gentrific- you know, still might have played its part. Oh, totally. I had some nice pancakes there. I walked across one bridge and came back on another. Man, I'll tell you what, those bridges in New York, woof. <laughs> He's not wrong, folks. He's not wrong. I love, uh, I love bridges. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yes, great conversation there with uh, Cap and Fury. It's just, it's just one of those moments that really highlight the, the underlying philosophy of the film, and I love it. So... We haven't got a shield heli carrier anymore, but we've got a huge building called the Triskelion, which is featured a lot in this movie. Is that a Marvel land book, a Marvel uh, landmark in the comic books? It's it's odd because in the, in the comic books, um, the Avengers live in a in a mansion. Yeah, they live in Tony Stark's mansion, and then later on, they live in like um, Tony Stark Tower. Uh, 
they have a hydro base at one stage, which is really weird. Um, oh God, am I, am I right? No, that's the Avengers. That's the Justice League. The Justice League ones <laughs> live in a cave. They, the Avengers don't don't ever live in a cave, to my to my knowledge. So no, but the Triskelion uh, is the Shield headquarters in the Ultimate Marvel Universe that we literally just talked about. So that's kind of a, it was a different line of, of comic books with a completely different continuity universe, canon, whatever you want to call it, to the, the regular Marvel, what we call the 616 universe. Uh, and the Ultimate Universe is kind of a bit more gritty, almost violent characters. Mm. That's where, if you go back and listen to some of our, uh, I think perhaps the, perhaps the very first, the very first, you know, maybe it was Iron Man, mm. our first appearance of Nick Fury. We talk in the first episode about this idea that, that Nick Fury, played by Sam Jackson, was was something that was created by the comic books because when they were creating Ultimate Nick Fury in the Ultimate Marvel Universe, the artist went, you know, uh, Brian Hitch was the artist, and he went, because he, he can draw people from, from, kind of from life and from pictures and stuff, mm. and he said, you know who made a real badass Nick Fury? Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. So he just drew Nick Fury as <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. And Sam Jackson is a massive comic book fan, and he went... That's cool. I think they should call me to play him when the when the movies get made, and then that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and that is it, in the in the Ultimate Marvel universe where where Sam Jackson Fury comes from. The Avengers headquarters is the Triskelion. They're not called the Avengers; they're called the Ultimates. Mm. And rather than superheroes, they are all government agents, military agents. So they have military digs, and, and yeah, I do believe now that the. The, the Ultimate Marvel Universe has been destroyed in the in the regular modern Marvel Universe six one six. I believe there is now a Triskelion, which is home to the Wakandan Embassy, and I think whatever modern super team knocks around in. So that. they've managed to get all the Marvel related stuff into one building. That's some good consolidation. There's another big word for you there. It all kind of happens eventually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're coming out with the big ones today. Uh, tell you what. Tell you what else is a Triskelion. The Triskelion is a Celtic symbol about the three coming out from the centre. Ah. So the symbol of the Isle of Man. You ah, go. you mean the three legs? That's a, that's a Triskelion, technically. Ah, the three yeah. legs, yeah. That's technically a Triskelion. Ah, okay. Nice, nice. That's the only time the Isle of Man will ever get referenced in a Marvel film. Next, next the Isle of White. You reckon? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the movie. If, they, if, the, if the Avengers have to take down some tax dodgers, I know where to send them. <laughs> Well, we can't go to the, we can't go to. Uh, oh, I've got the pl- name of the place. Let's move on. What's the What's the other tax dodging place? The, the tropical island, Cayman Islands, Canary. Oh, Cayman, Cayman, no, Cayman, Cayman, Cayman. Yeah, Cayman. yeah. I was about to say, let's not set up an Avengers uh, Avengers house in the Cayman Islands. Too obvious, mate. Too obvious. Folks, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lean into this. I'm gonna point out we, we we're both aware this has been a weird show so far. <laughs> we're both aware there's some digressions taking place. It's just uh, don't worry about it. We, we we got this. We're all right. We're all we're all good. We're all good. Uh, so we're gonna get back to the moon before we digress further. So later, Rogers visits the Captain America exhibit at the Smithsonian Institution and also visits an elderly Peggy Carter who is suffering from a form of dementia in a retirement home. Meanwhile, Fury discovers that the data on the USB is inaccessible. He informs Alexander Pierce, who had just concluded a meeting with the World Security Council about the hijacking of the Lumerian Star. Fury asks Pierce 
to make a formal request to the council to delay Project Insight due to Fury's rising suspicions. I don't know about you. I kind of found myself welling up Agent Carter old and demented in a bed. It was such... It, it hit. That hit. That hit. That hit. I was distracted. Okay. By two things. One, <laughs> uh, the CGI didn't quite hit properly for me. Yeah. Two, um, where's her husband? Where's her husband? Where's her husband? Where's her husband? Where's her goddamn husband? That was all my brain was doing when Cap's there. I know. Is, is elderly Cap in the garage going, oh, blimey, I hope he doesn't see me? Yeah, but you're thinking about that on retrospective now, aren't you? Or uh, plus, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember. I don't. I, I mean, I don't remember what I thought at the time, but that's what I was thinking this time around. I was thinking, where, where is he? Where's, where's old? Or Cap? maybe old Cat was like, okay, remember you're at this place <laughs> at this point in time. Yeah, do do the gardening that day. Do the gardening. It's proper. It's proper Doctor Who stuff. It is, it is proper. I, I, although I would say that the, the time travel stuff in Infinity uh, in Endgame. I, I, I find hole, I'm going to pick holes in anyway when we get to it, but I'm like that with most time travel. Well, I look, I look, I look forward to calling in. I look forward to calling in sick on that day. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> fine. Well, we won't bloody do it then. Uh, I, you can I, have your own bonus episode. Oh, bonus. Will rants about time travel <laughs> <laughs> while in the bath. Um, I, 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 but I did find it quite sad on principle. It's, I think it's a very sad to see a character who you've known to be sprightly, full of life, an amazing, absolutely amazing character be reduced to such a state. And it's one of those. It, it's it's just it's just sad. Yeah, I, I find dementia and Alzheimer's really difficult to 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 view, uh, just because it's afflicted people in my life. Um, uh, the, the, you know the, the the bonus is that I think around this time she's getting her own TV series, so that's kind of yeah. something to cling to. She that, gets to be cool and dynamic in that TV show. That's yeah, yeah, we got that. Also, uh, on, a, on a happier note, the World Security Council. I like the casting here. We got we got Return of Jenny Agatha, Lau from The Dark Knight, and Jim Robinson from Neighbours. <laughs> Jim from Neighbours. Jim from Neighbours. Now, I don't know where else in the... I mean, the people in America might not get how awesome this is to uh, the UK audiences. Anytime Jim from Neighbours is in anything, we go crazy. Because it's Jim Robinson from Neighbours. Now, you might know him as Alan Dale uh, from, you know... He's been everything from The O.C. to Ugly Betty to to being the most important character in Lost... Um, but he's Jim from Neighbours to us, and he always will be. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. He he. Uh, so so, I spotted on um, on the subtitles. That's how I watch all movies. Uh, yeah, I'm one of them. That he plays Councilman Rockwell. Yeah. Now Councilman Rockwell. Like he's never named. You know what I mean? It's not like he's not a big deal character. But that's his name that comes up. In the in the in the in the credits and on the uh, on the subtitles there, Councilman Rockwell in the comic books, he's part of that commission we talked about that fires Captain America, and ah. Rockwell is the one that's revealed to be the secret agent working for the Red Skull. So it's a very key role in the comic books, but it's nothing here. <laughs> Fair enough, another wasted opportunity there. I will say though, 
Although, although the casting here for the World Council, World Security Council, does make us go, "Oh, do you remember them? Do you remember them? Oh my God, they pulled out Robert Redford. Robert oh. Redford. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> I, Robin Redford makes everyone feel a certain way, and I feel it right in my gut. And I just know what I'm watching is going to be a great film. Yeah, yeah he, he was superb in this. But he plays a major. He's playing a major character here. I mean, how much history does Alexander Pierce have with Captain America in the comics? Oh, oh. absolutely zero. <laughs> <laughs> like he is, he is a comic book character, mm. but he's a he's a minor, minor character. He's more of a minor character than Councilman Rockwell. Oh God, he. He's one of Nick Fury's uh, right-hand men for a lot of years. Um, He's kind of in the back. You know, I don't know. You know, like, we talked about Dum Dum Duggan in the last Captain America movie. The guy with the little hat uh, from from the Howling Commandos. He's one of Fury's right-hand men. He's a bigger character than than this guy, Um, Alexander Pierce. He he led one of Fury's secret warrior teams when when Nick Fury split from Shield, but you know he has he's had no real interaction with Captain America. He's not you know he's not an older character in the comic books. He's not one of Nick Fury's lifelong friends like he is here. Bit of an odd name to choose. If anything, I would have I would have made him I would have called him Councilman Rockwell. Like I just. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it, it it just seemed to, but maybe that gives something away. Who knows? I don't know. I you, you're the man to ask, and you're 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 stumped. <laughs> this is one of those rare moments. I, I can't. Where we I, dig. I just, it, but it, it it seems to happen quite a lot in the Marvel films. We've noticed quite a few yeah. times. They 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 instead of creating a brand new character, they kind of do create a brand new character for the movie, and then give him a name of an absolutely insignificant. Character that we saw that in Iron Man three happened twice me, <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the assassins. Yeah. Like I had to like, oh that guy who was in three issues. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So anyway, back at the Triskelion. So. Fury leaves the Triskelion and is en route to meet with Maria Hill when he is attacked by assassins impersonating policemen. He gets away, suffering a broken forearm, but is then soon stopped by a masked man in the middle of the road who shoots a disc grenade under Nick Fury's SUV, flipping it. However, before the masked man gets to Fury, he manages to use a high-tech device to cut through the vehicle and street and escape into the sewers. Uh, could we just um, have a conversation about how insane Nick Fury's SUV is it's it's mental (laughs) it's Pack full of gadgets. It's packed full of gadgets. It's like it's like it knows his current medical state. It's bulletproof, almost bombproof, and it's got like weapons everywhere in it. It it was it's a nice bit of kit. I love the idea that the president's just still got. Basic bulletproof. <laughs> Nothing else. Just a basic limo, bulletproof windows, and that's it. Shield are just hoarding all the cool stuff. Uh, no, our leader needs 
a car that's basically alive. That's what he needs. <laughs> well, I was about to say, you don't vote in a member of uh, the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. every nope. four years. Nope, nope, nope. More valuable, more valuable. So what I didn't get about this scene was, although it was pretty good, I loved, I loved the, again, great choreography, this time with cars. I loved the way it came together, like, like almost like the heist scene at the beginning at the Van Heist from the film Heat. Yeah. You know, it was a proper, let's pin him in with cars. Yeah. Why didn't, instead of having this elaborate plan with costumes and whatnot, did they just not send the Winter Soldier on his own? <laughs> Who's perfectly capable of defending himself and taking out people. Well, because <clears throat> because you don't... because of uh, Think of the optics and think of any cameras on the things at the time. You don't put the Winter Soldier in play when you don't need the world to see him. Yeah. If a bunch of police arrest a black man in the middle of the street and start clicking off them guns, no one's going to really think twice about it, are they? Oh. So if they could get it done with a bunch of cops to make it look official and real and blah, blah, blah. Any, any you know, uh, camera crews or street cameras or anything like that, it's just going to get kind of a, an accepted optic that they know about rather than a man with a cybernetic arm <laughs> leaping from a freeway and, you know, doing everything on his own. That then becomes a story. There I'm we go. imagining. But... Perhaps to your. Sometimes when these things happen, you might need a line of dialogue in a movie to kind of explain it. You know, mm. I I think that's a very likely uh, cause. So, again, back to his cool gadgets. Come on, he must have those in the comic books. I mean, is he basically American James Bond? Hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, because. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a 60s comic and then it, it, it had a, a real spike in the 70s as well. So James Bond is incredibly popular and really influential in, in the pop culture kind of field. So yeah, they pack all the gadgets in to, to Fury um, in the comics. He has a flying car, which is really cool. The, the hubcaps turn down and it, and it takes off and flies. It looks like the one uh, that Howard Stark has at the Expo yeah. that we saw in Iron Man 2. Um, and I think that flying car comes back again when we see Howard Stark. Perhaps perhaps it's in Peggy Carter. Uh, Peggy Carter, who knows? Um, he's got a periscope hat. That's right, a periscope <laughs> hat. So it's like a trilby. And you pull the trilby down and you can see behind you. Um that's Inspector Gadget, mate. That's <laughs> Inspector Gadget. No, 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 no. Right. So it doesn't. It doesn't. The hat doesn't shoot up in the air. Like it's just when he pulls it down. Do you want me to send you? Want me to send it to you? I, I was about to find it myself. Uh, I've not got it. I've not got it. Periscope. But... He's got periscope hat. Nick Fury periscope hat. Um, oh, I got it. He's got. Yeah, so it's not. It just you can see behind you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has uh, a wristwatch that that with, with full of magnets that deflect bullets. So if he's being shot at, he can hold his wristwatch up, hit a button, and it kind of fires magnets off that send the bullets kind of all over the place. He's got uh, the epiderm mask machine, <laughs> the epiderm mask machine, which literally creates someone else's skin. And facial features over yours. It is a perfect mask. No one can like. T- it doesn't look like a mask. It's it's Mission Impossible style yeah. masking. Um, he has this high tech glider suit that essentially lets him fly. Especially if he jumps from the heli carrier, he can like glide over huge distances with it. And the most important one, 
the LMDs. The LMDs, life model decoys. They are lifelike androids that Shield um, build that are of, of copies, usually of the director. So they will have the director can never really be caught out in the field. Whenever you meet the director of Shield, you're probably not really meeting the director of Shield. Yeah. You're probably meeting an LMD. Anytime you think you're about to kidnap him or shoot him. It'll turn out that Fury isn't really Fury, it's an LMD. And then you'll turn to your henchman and said, oh no, it's a robot. And the henchman will rip a mask off, reveal himself to be Fury, and then shoot you. Because that <laughs> happens, like, you can't... The Fury is ahead of you all the time because of this stuff. Constantly. It's amazing. That is, yeah. that is incredibly Gadget man. elaborate. I like that. That is so cool. But back to the movie. So... So I almost coughed then. <coughs> oh, no, I did. After flirting with his neighbours. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you interrupted the show because you almost coughed, but you didn't, and then you did. It was incredibly layered, I thank you. Uh, <laughs> after flirting with his neighbour, Rogers finds the... He's got ins- to he's, he's, he's milk every... He's even got to milk a cough. He can't just have a cough, he's got to milk it. He's a proper... He treads the boards. He's a proper theatre. My, my cough came with a content warning. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> just in case people hate coughing. Um, Rogers finds the impaired Fury sitting in a chair in the dark in his flat. Fury tells Rogers that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been compromised before being shot several times by the masked assassin. Fury gives the USB drive to Rogers and tells him not to trust anyone before falling unconscious. Rogers' neighbour smashes in the door, revealing herself to be a S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent 13, tasked by Fury to keep an eye on Rogers. Steve pursues the masked man and hurls his S.H.I.E.L.D. at him, but is shocked when the assassin is able to catch the S.H.I.E.L.D. with his cybernetic arm and throw it back. So we mentioned her briefly in the first Captain America film, but what can you tell us about Sharon Carter, Agent 13? She's Cap's main girlfriend, love interest in the comic books. Yeah. Peggy doesn't really feature. She only features in flashback. Yeah. Um, but they're supposed to be related? Fact, around, around the time Cap... Yeah, so, so when Cap fights Batroc for the first time... Mm. Batroc Zilliper. Uh, <laughs> it's the same issue that he meets... Agent 13, who looks a lot like his 1940s girlfriend. Who, if you'll remember from the Captain America episode, we revealed Mm. Peggy Carter doesn't actually... She was never actually written about in the 40s. She was written about in the 60s in a flashback to the 40s. So she's a a Marvel Age, Stan and Jack kind of character where they created this girlfriend for him. She was a leader of the French Resistance... And she got uh, gunned down, and he never saw her again. But that turned out to actually just be a cover. He ne- never knew her real name. He never knew anything about her. He knew her cover identity in the forties. So uh, they have loads of adventures together, Agent Thirteen and and Cap. They're they're kind of because she works for Shield and he's working with Shield. They're paired together a lot, and they get shagging. They get down to it and start <laughs> rooting, and. Uh, <laughs> Further down the line, he then finds out because it's not like it's 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 kind of withheld from him really, but he then finds out that she is Peggy's niece, yeah, which he uh, he didn't know, and she she's on the peripheral of of Cap Comics for 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 a long time, becomes majorly important 
in the modern era when writer Ed Brubaker kind of is, is is given the reins on Captain America, he, she gets a renewed importance. And she was brainwashed and manipulated into assassinating Steve Rogers at one point, and we'll talk about that. You know what? We might not get around to it. We'll talk about that. Yeah, it's Civil War. Um, and then, obviously, he doesn't. Don't, I'm not. I mean, he doesn't stay dead. <laughs> don't worry. Um, <laughs> I thought it's a bombshell to drop on people, isn't it? And he assassinates him, and that's it. That's the end of him. And then at one <laughs> stage, um, <laughs> at one stage, Steve nominates Agent Carter to become the new director of Shield. This is very modern. This happened in the last couple of years, but she uh, was reluctant at the time. Hydra had become a much more insidious threat throughout America. Members mm. were being recruited domestically, a lot like the KKK, which is a lot harder to kind of find and stamp out than a bunch of people in costumes, you know, going around yeah. with with laser guns. So Shield was being given huge civilian surveillance powers. The idea being the only way to kind of find the Hydra now was to basically turn the cameras and the microphones on the public, monitor phone calls, emails, all that sort of stuff. And Sharon believed that she was completely the wrong person to have that kind of power. And the only person in her mind who could be trusted with that kind of power is Captain America. So she convinced Steve to become director of S.H.I.E.L.D. That was a dark and terrible decision. And we'll get to that a little bit later on in the episode. I look forward to it. Oh, yes. But anyway, let's continue. Fury dies from his injuries, and Rumlow tells Rogers he is wanted at the Triskillian for an urgent meeting. Feeling suspicious, Rogers quickly hides the USB in a vending machine and leaves. At the Triskillian, he is questioned by Pierce, who says he is one of Fury's oldest friends, and says he'll tear through anyone to get the truth. Rogers does not trust Pierce and says nothing about the USB or the circumstances of Fury's death, merely reiterating that Fury said not to trust anyone. He leaves Pierce to go to the hospital. So, Cap's conversation with Redford, I, I, I should say Pierce, but I'm going to say Redford because it's Robert Redford, about tearing down the old world. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I don't care about, about comic book names. I do. Uh, tearing down the old world to make a better one really hits home with the theme of ethics, of using power to keep the peace. If you're tearing down the old world like, to make a new one, what are you saving? What, are you, what, 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 new, what is this new world you're building? I always find people bring that up when, the, when, uh, when issues of censorship and any kind of change in culture comes up. They go, hey, 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 what about tradition and stuff like that? I found that to be a very uh, zeitgeisty moment, if you will. Zeitgeisty is a word. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the nice thing about that statement is that it kind of can play to... to it's, it's vague enough to be interpreted different ways. Yeah. So if we think about having a, a very progressive and what me and you would think of as a ethically correct and right world, mm. then that plays well with that because me and you are kind of whatever we are. I'm, I'm, I'm dodging things here. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you if you view the scene again with him as a right-wing racist Hydra agent, <laughs> then you go, oh, he means 
He means killing people that aren't white. That's what he means. <laughs> Spoiler it's, alert. It's, it's a vague enough statement mm. that can, you know, it can. Yeah. When he means tearing down the old world, he means anything, anything that isn't the German Third Reich, which is kind of where they they saw they saw the only real true path for for their for their, for their world. Yeah. So it's a nice vague statement. It's it, it's vague, but you are yeah. right. It it, it has. It has nice uh, zeitgeisty overtones, connotations even. It, it, it ties well into the real world and really hits home. That's why I love it. it it's just why I love this film in general. It really, really hit home for a lot on a lot of t- subjects. So he's at it, so it's back to Rogers. While in the elevator, Rogers is joined by Rumbelo and several strike operatives and soon realises that they are there to capture him. He fights the attackers and successfully knocks them all out before jumping out of the elevator to avoid arrest. After landing, he drives away on his motorcycle and disables an attacking gunship. Pierce then declares Rogers a fugitive to be taken out by S.H.I.E.L.D. for withholding information on Fury's death. Later, Pierce turns out to be working with the masked man. So, that lift scene is a meme. That has become such a meme now. <laughs> I've seen it used so many times <laughs> on different things where they're just, oh, it just turns out to be a disagreement on a conversation and suddenly, ah, let's grab him. Um, I, I, I love it. Just uh, just for the fans fans playing Will Bingo at home, we've had memes. Yep. <laughs> and we've had video games. Still no Simpsons. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Don't worry, we've got a lot more time to go. Just keep those bingo cards to hand. Well, the thing is, I could do a Redford reference in The Simpsons, but it would be so laboured and tacked on, it wouldn't count. It would be, it would be so arbitrary. There is another well, big word. If the, if our audience don't love lame, tacked on references by now, <laughs> then I don't know what they're listening for. I, they, I, yeah, you, you could just drive it down. We've got a separate podcast where it's edited down just to my tacked on references. That's what the public wants, Rob. That's what the public wants. <laughs> But back to the lift scene. Um, every time, I, I, I obviously, uh, I, I mustn't have known. It was, it was, this was so subtle yet noticeable, but I didn't uh, remember it when I watched it a second time. Every time, it's a tense scene, but every time they pass a floor, if you rewatch it and actually pay attention, every time they pass a floor, you hear a heartbeat sound. And I have no idea if this was intentional, but it's the most amazing use of subconscious tension. I, I've seen woven into the film. It's... I didn't. I didn't uh, spot it at all until until you mentioned it. I went back and had a look, and you're absolutely right. And it, it, I mean, it, it, obviously, nothing nothing about a film is unintentional, really. No, nothing um, is. Total, so total, yeah, total. it's got to be. It's especially not with foley artists and um, sound and you know sound people and soundtracks and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, it, it, you, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a really marvelous kind of marvelous use. It, of, uh, of of sound to build tension, yeah, and, and and it matches what's going on in the scene, but is different from what's from what the original meaning of they, they they're just passing floor, they're traveling, but at the same time, it's a heartbeat, it's tension. Anyway, I won't go too far down my A level in film studies in terms of audio and visual, but I have to say, I really i I thought that was great film, great 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 filmmaking technique. But anyway. Just in case, uh, I mean, I really didn't point this out. Just, just in case, because American audiences don't know these things. Uh, an A level. Um, what that means is that with my degree, I outrank Will. <laughs> just, just in case there's any confusion, Will. I just don't. I can't let that stand. They might think an A level is like a degree or something. And I just need to point out 
that I out out. You know, there you go. So we'll just that's no, that's just get that out there. There we go. I uh, yeah, we have two one. We, <coughs> damn it! Don't don't outrank me. Two one's good. That's good. Uh, don't know what the American system yeah, is, but Bachelor of Honours. Well, well done, man. Well done. Um, it's a, it's like a silver silver. <laughs> It's a silver medal. Believe it or not, you're more likely to get employed with a 2-1, I've heard, anyway. So, I don't know. It depends what you're after in life. Um, anyway, the scene uh, where Rogers takes down this huge <laughs> golden shop on his own escapes, escapes is really awesome. It's, an again, nice bit of choreography. Does he do that in the comics? It, it It's really interesting. It, it, it's, it's, I was watching it, and I was like, this is... That was the moment, I think... I don't know why it took me that long. I mean, up until then, you could have gone, oh, this is like a Jason Bourne yeah. or a Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That moment with Cap is when you go, this is this really is a superhero version of Mission Impossible or, or Jason Bourne because it, 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 he can do so much. He has that extra gear. He can't fly and he can't punch through, you know, <laughs> steel girders and stuff. But he can do. You, can, it's it's believable. You know, it, yeah. Yeah, it's weird to say it's believable. But, but Cap is grounded in reality, but with this extra oomph that lets him do these super cool things. And yeah, this scene is almost not. It's almost directly taken from um, the superhero Civil War. During during that. Cap is kind of told by Maria Hill, who's a director of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time, that he has to join her task force to track down superheroes that have gone awry. Yeah. And they haven't really gone awry. Cap, Cap tells uh, Maria Hill to, to go screw, fights his way um, through S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, fights his way out of the helicarrier and leaps out of a window. But he's on a helicarrier, not the Triskelion. <laughs> so... <laughs> He lands on a plane that's in flight. Like, and he kind of uses his shield to crack through the window and grip onto like the the, the what what do you call what do you call where a pilot sits in a plane? The cockpit. Cockpit. Yeah. He cracks the window and kind of like hangs onto the cockpit, and the pilot like swears because all of a sudden this guy lands on his and Cap tells him, "Watch the language, son," <laughs> and then he's like, "Take me down." And makes him makes the pilot flying back to to New York, and then you know there's another scene. There's another scene in between, and then you, you go on to see a bunch of the Avengers kind of talking, and we learn from their conversation that Cap had the pilot land the plane on a baseball field, and then he took the uh, the pilot for a hot dog. Oh, that's so nice. Which is just. It's really good writing, right? Because it, it displays how absolutely bombastically badass Cap can be, but also at the same time, he's a genuinely sweet, nice guy. And he's like <laughs> tough and stern, but also, I gave you quite a scare there, son. Let's go for a hot dog. That's so nice. And it's so American. It, it's, it's the kind of... So that uh, Civil War is written by Mark Miller, mm. who is not American. Yeah. Um, so you kind of get this lovely view of the mythology of America. Yeah. And the mythology of America is hot dogs, baseball. So he kind of manages to to kind of roll it all, roll it all up into one. You know, and you kind of see how these this mythology is viewed through the eyes of a slightly insane Scotsman. Yeah. Look, it's uh 
it's it's just so I'm just still taken aback about how sweet that is. Um, it's cool, isn't it? It's, it's cool. cool. But also, I wanted to say that uh, mind your language, son. One of my f- favorite lines, favorite bits. In yeah, uh, we'll August, get to it. We'll Ava get to Oxford. it. I, okay, I'll get to, you know which bit leave I'm about. It, leave it, leave it. I, that made me laugh so much in the cinema. It was brilliant. So, uh, let's talk about the strike team as well. The strike team is something we've never seen before. This seems like a, a new thing. Like, are they? They look like a Shield version of the Marines. I mean, are they? Are they directly related to Shield? Are they another organization? Is there anything you can tell us about them? <laughs> I'm laughing now that uh, that. that <laughs> That, uh, that we nearly did this too early. Um, this is it's really odd. I I only spotted this thanks to rewatching with the subtitles on. Okay. Okay. I, okay. When I've seen this film before several times, mm. I hear "strike team" as in "strike team." Mm. Assemble the strike team. Yeah. You know, like everyone's got the cops have a strike team. You know, when you rewatch it with subtitles, and when you kind of delve into the um, the plot. In, in some of the tie-ins and online, it's all caps. It's an acronym. It is a strike, like shield. Of course, it a is a team of strike, right? And that's and that honestly, I had to pause the movie, go away, and kind of confirm it because strike s t r i k e in the comic books are not a division of shield. They are Europe's answer to shield. Ah, special tactical reserve. Yeah, Special Tactical Reserve for International Key Emergencies. They are the UK and Europe version of S.H.I.E.L.D. They are supporting characters within Captain Britain storylines. And they work with um, with a lot of the, the, Brits, the British heroes over there. Some very cool 70s and 80s Captain Britain storylines with Psylocke and, and Strike and their Psy Division... Which goes very dark very quickly, which is what happens when Grant Morrison gets to write Marvel comics. It's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, it's it's it, it, it's odd that again, it's odd that they do that. But who knows? There we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I I just thought that they'd be a, like a like a sub sub bit inside Shield, and like everything has to have an acronym apparently. But hey, yeah, yeah. So. We see Rogers go at the hospital. He goes to the hospital, arrives later, where he notices that the USB he planted in the vending machine is gone. But Romanoff reveals that she had taken it and that the masked man is an assassin known as the Winter Soldier. Someone she's encountered before. On the run, they go to an Apple store to see if they can access any of the valuable information on the USB. But they, as Fury did, find nothing However, they are able to trace the location where the program on the USB was written. Rumlow and his team arrive and try to find them, but Black Widow's spy skills are far superior, and they slip past the entire strike team. Every single bit of the pursuit scenes is brilliant. I know I use the word brilliant a lot, but it's brilliant. It feels like a Bourne film. It feels like the, the best bits of the Bourne film without too much shaky cameraing. I loved it. It was, you know, the little bit where yeah. they go, oh, you kiss me now. Why? Public displays of affection repel- repulse most people. And it works. It's subconsciously, they look away and they like, because it, there are so many nice little bits where they're hiding in plain sight. Like, that's one thing. Instead of staying still or trying to look non-suspicious, they kiss or they laugh at a joke at each other. And it makes them look 
not normal because obviously they're looking for people who, tr- who are trying to hide and they're, they're doing that fine line of we're hiding but not too hard. I love it. I love it. It reminded me of the similar scene in the shopping mall in Minority Report. Oh, I haven't seen that. Where, I don't know if you remember that, where the, oh, have you not? No, no, no. Well, the, the, the kind of the auger, the, the, the poor woman that can see the future, yeah, but only a little bit ahead, is able to kind of direct them from being, uh, they've got, again, they've got a whole team of people looking for them. Mm. She's able to say, go and stand here right now. And he's like, no, no, we've been right in the open, right in the open. She's like, do as you're, do, do it, do it, do it. And as soon as they step there, a guy with a giant bunch of balloons walks and stops. <laughs> and so the balloons hide him from sight. And then she's like, we need to duck down now. I know a little bit of that happens in The Matrix when um, he's following those instructions to kind yep. of get out of the office and avoid yep. being caught by the, the by Agent Smith and stuff. So, yeah, but those are kind of like otherworldly explanations, whereas this is just Black Widow is... A, a, a spy savant. She is. Yep. Just she's just next, next, next level. I, 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 There's not enough. Quite frankly, it, 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 it frustrates me in some in, in all the Avengers films that she is not used as she should be used. She's used mainly as someone with like a gun on her wrist and that can kick and fight, rather than she should not be in the field. She should be doing everything else. She should be sneaking her way. Like, the whole thing should have, like, Thanos should have discovered that one of his aid, one of his henchmen actually is the Black Widow in disguise. Like, that's how you use the Black yeah. Widow. She, like, yeah. she should have been used to sneak and, and anyway. But, yeah, it's used incredibly well in this film. Oh, incredibly. It reminded me a lot. I, I, I know another video game reference, been playing the hit, the recent Hitman games, where you do so much of this, hiding in plain sight, hiding in right. crowds, with a disguise yeah. on, pretending to be working on something. And so that hit home with me, because I love stealth games. Also, the Mac store scene... Uh, I was waiting, going, oh, I bet they get interrupted a bit by a bloody genius. And then a genius does it. Like, yes, yes, yes. It was, it, that, that felt realistic for me. Also, also really fun to go into a Mac store and change all the uh, backgrounds on the devices to a picture of your face. <laughs> just, just to freak everybody out. That's what I do. Do it. Change it. No, change it to our logo. Oh. That- if you're going to do it. Next time. Change all the... Uh- all the all the screens to the the Marvel versus Marvel logo. That's what we want to do. That's good. They they, they I'm not going to be buying anything from there, so it's fine. Anyway, Natasha talks about knowing the Winter Soldier in her past. Getting back to Black Widow. Uh, now, is there a connection in the comic books? Oh, big connection. Uh, Black Widow mm. was trained by the Winter Soldier. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So, in in the comic books, the Soviets. Use the Winter Soldier to train the women in in the Red Room for the Black Widow program. So they took him out of um, out of cryogenesis stasis, whatever you want to call it, mm. and he was in Russia for a good long period of time training the girls, the women, and yeah, N- Natasha and, and the Winter Soldier fought together on missions, fell in love, and had a relationship. Hello. Right up until his Soviet masters realised that he'd formed a relationship with somebody. And so that's when he gets his mind wiped completely clean, scrubbed clean, and stuck back in the freezer. So, 
yeah, there was a, a good, good year or so, maybe longer, where they fought in a lot of missions together. And she learned all her main combat skills and espionage skills, or a lot of them from him. And um, and they were together, yeah. So big, deep roots there. Nice, nice. So back to the back to the pursuit. They steal a truck and drive to the location from the USB, which turns out to be Camp Lahai. Is it Camp Lahai? Sure, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Camp Lahai, where Steve trained during World War Two. They find a secret storage room full of old computers inside an early Shield office, which powers up. A voice starts to talk to them and is revealed to be Arnim Zola who tells them that he was recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. after the war and helped rebuild Hydra inside S.H.I.E.L.D. However, in the 70s, he received news that his body was dying and had his mind transferred into computers. Zola reveals that Hydra has been influencing S.H.I.E.L.D. since day one and has been behind the deaths of some key players, including Howard Stark, Tony's father, as well as being involved in the Winter Soldier program. But before Rogers and Romanoff can get any more information out of Zola, a S.H.I.E.L.D. missile shows up and destroys the bunker. Also, when they get here, they, cut, they, they, they get there in a st- stolen car, and Romanoff says to Captain America, like, when did Captain America learn how to steal a car? Is that a cheeky reference to the 90s film? Why? What, what What happens in the 90s film? He steals a lot of cars. He stole the car? He stole a car in the Does film. He? Yeah. I haven't seen that film in a while. No, all that, well, all, I only know about the film because of uh, the internet was saying, oh, there's an article that says, that, oh, the original Captain America film, he was a git, he would punch people and then steal their cars. And it was just like, it was it was just a, a jokey article about how the original film w- was, was terrible. And I thought that was a reference to the 1990s film. I, if it wasn't... Tell you what... You, that's one I dread someone on Patreon picking for us. Because <laughs> I've seen it, and it's brutal. I um, kind of want to so, see it. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. Um, yeah, it, 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 may, it might well be. I, I, I felt like it was um, like a little reference to, uh, to his kind of... You know, he grew up on the streets. I'm not saying he stole cars, but, you know, he was... Yeah. He's not. He, he's got. He's got street smarts. Is what I'm saying. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I I I, I, can, I can deal with that. But what I really loved here, and we talked about Zola before, uh, and we we, we reveal, you revealed how he's Krang from term from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Was that Zola? Where he had the he had the body. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's like yeah. he's Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now Zola being stored on American soil is a great reference to the real life what actually happened to ex-Nazis in the US government they, the US government took yeah, them after the war yeah. to work on things like the, new, the, like the atom bomb and America being infiltrated by Hydra is an even deeper subtext I mean the film is rich with these very mature historical nods because you've got to remember this is a film owned by Disney doing comic books which are supposedly aimed at kids and what they're referencing here is some dark stuff that went on in the US history post-war it's Operation Paperclip is a very, very real OSS operation. I mean, it was it was joint. I mean, it was all over the, um, you know, I think the allies, the allies on all sides did it as well. But yeah. you know, um, uh, uh, Werner von Braun, you know, the the, the whole the whole um, 
rocket team, the rocket squad, were were taken from Germany to to the states, and there would, but it would have been no getting to the moon without them. Yep. And that's that is very much what what the reference is to, and it's it's a very yeah, it's, it's deeply cool, you know, d- d- deep deeply cool, um, and and a d- yeah yeah it really is. Um, one one thing that I uh, really took from this as well, and I'm just pinging Ooh, this to yeah. you. Um, to you now, Will. Mm. So I only noticed it this time on this rewatch, and you are going to have to. This is a very visual conversation to have. Arnim Zola, if you if you haven't seen him before, head over to the Patreon site. He's there, and we describe. Will says he looks like Krang. He he's not doing it completely justice, right? So Zola's has a robot body, and his head is a is like an old style security camera. Yeah, because he was created in the sixties. And his face appears on a screen on the robot's chest, mm. torso, right? Yeah. And if you look exactly at that scene I've sent you there, man, yeah, that is exactly what they're doing. So his his face appears on on the screen, and on top of the screen, they've got an old style security camera. That to, to have taken the time with the art design to try and recreate Jack Kirby's design yeah. of that character is. I, I I was overjoyed when I I missed that completely in the movie when, in the cinema when I saw it for the first time. But spotting it there, what an incredible reproduction of that! Um, really awesome, really really cool. So yeah. it, it, a, a, a great plot point. Yeah, it, it, at its at its heart, very true to the original design. Also, I love the fact this has just reminded me of it. I love that it's old dot matrix green style. Uh, Sure. Yeah, mainly be- yeah. mainly because it feels like a Fallout game to me. But oh god, I love that! It's just it's the right kind of retro yeah. without it being without it being ridiculously like hokey. It feels the right kind of retro. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great, great scene. Uh, and also heartbreaking news about Shield. Turns out they've been rotten since the very beginning. Uh, now, was this invented by the movies as well? No, oh. no. This is um, a, a Brian Michael Bendis storyline. Um, when he, he's a, as we start to move towards a lot more modern storylines, he's going to come up a hell of a lot um, when we start to to get into things, um, especially around the a lot of these characters, the Avengers. You know, he's a, a visionary. You know, a really, I don't know, visionary might be a bit strong. He's an incredible writer, a, a, just an incredible guy for dialogue, but he also just had some wonderful. Him and Ed Brubaker. Had some brilliant, brilliant ideas for for how to do modern, thrilling, intriguing, exciting twist and turn storylines for the characters. Bendis, we we talked about this storyline where Nick Fury wages a secret war, um, and kind of gets kicked out of of Shield, and at the end of that, and then the all the events of Secret invasion which we'll talk about when we get to captain marvel and all the events of the civil war which we'll talk about when we get to civil war fury's on the run shield has crumbled uh to to nothing it's been completely replaced mm. but he discovers this one big terrifying secret and it's that since day one the u.s government have been infiltrated by hydra and shield have been infiltrated by hydra and and fury goes so far as to say that shield its entire existence has been a puppet organization for Hydra. Oof. And what he discovers is that all his battles with Hydra, 
the 60s, the 70s, you know, when he's Nick Fury, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he's battling against, uh, someone will say, till the end, and, and all these big, colourful Hydra soldiers in those, I showed them to you in, in, in the other episode, the Cap episode, the, the ridiculous kind of green and yellow costumes, the elaborate sci-fi battles, and the elaborate sci-fi stories, they've all been misdirection Yeah, to throw... Fury and everyone else off the scent and to conceal that Hydra has been pulling the strings on, on, on world events and on S.H.I.E.L.D. right from the start and admittedly it gets introduced once S.H.I.E.L.D. has been done away with but I can remember reading that issue, mm. it happens right at the end, is like kind of a cliffhanger but not quite and I was like I, I sat there thinking Surely they're going to have to undo this, right? They can't just. Is this going to be how it? Is this it? Is this? Is this? Is this real? Is this really? You know, do they kind of, kind of un, not undo, but are they? Is this actually how it has been the whole time? And it stayed. It's not been retconned. It's not been wiped out. It's not been undone or revealed to be, you know, a, a, um, a ruse. It was. Yeah, it's exactly what Hydra did. Wow. I suppose, it, in a way, it just it it it's it's not exactly recycling, but sort of keeping Hydra up in a more modern sense. Because you think Hydra, you think ah, old Nazi runoff group, but no, they're they're still yeah, current. Yeah. It, it's keeping them current. I think it works so well with that yeah. because you think about again thinking about the uh, the old Nazis being involved in the, in American projects. Great way, great way of tying it together. Great way. So yeah, absolutely. After so. After the missile is launched, Rogers and Romanoff are able to survive the explosion and seek refuge. Refuge. I always get that word wrong. With Sam... <laughs> I know. That's British education for you. I can't even speak my own language. Uh, with Sam Wilson. Sam tells them that he can offer them assistance as he is part of a, mili- of a military project involving advanced personal flight suits. Rogers and Romanoff then go back to Washington, D.C. to capture Jasper Sitwell, who is working for Hydra. To get him to talk, Natasha throws Sitwell off a roof, only for Sam, wearing his Falcon flight suit, to catch him in midair. Thoroughly terrified, Sitwell begins spilling his guts, confessing that Zola's computer program could calculate if a person would be a threat in the future based on their race, religion, voting history and shopping habits. Sitwell tells the three that Hydra will use the Project Insight weapons to wipe out millions of potential rebels all over the world. Wow. Scary. So, during this time, Black Widow really reveals some vulnerability when they're at Falcon's place. She she sort of lowers her defences here when she starts talking about her past. I... Yeah. I... I, It's, um... It comes up in the in the comics as well, and it's a really nice. So Natasha generally feels like. Uh, so you remember, the Avengers. Oh, of course. I've got, I've got red in my ledger. Yeah. Natasha is is burdened by, uh, having spent the first half of her life. Committing terrible acts or being forced to go along with terrible acts. Mm. In her work for the KGB, and she she it is her greatest fear, and it comes up in the comics when she discovers this about Hydra that all this work that she's been doing in the second half of her life to make up for it, to undo it, to unpick it, to try and 
get the red clear and to get back into the black to pay back her moral ethical debt is actually all out the window because the whole time she's secretly been just dragged around on a string by Hydra you yeah. know who are the same if not worse than the KGB yeah, yeah. It, it's to discover your whole life is a lie like it's it's kind of a shame we didn't get a bit more of that from fury uh, we didn't get to see Fury react in any of these. Fury doesn't get, get to react to the idea that his entire freaking <laughs> career with S.H.I.E.L.D. has been a, a lie, you know, um, a, a publicity scam. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great scene. He's, he's basically a puppet leader. Yeah, again, great scene. Uh, also, uh, it, it, we're probably going to talk... Uh, I know we want to talk about Falcon in a bit, but I will say... Uh, he's incredibly endearing in this. Uh, I, I forget the actor's name, uh, but I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen him in a few other things. And I have to say, he just comes off as a thoroughly lovely fella. He seems humble, se- wick- nice little sense of humour, but strong at the same time. And I, I, he, he, he just, he, I, I, I love him. I love watching him in this. Also, uh, Gary Shandling returns, and he turns out to be in Hydra. Oh, all praise. I know, like yeah. Gary Shandling. Sorry, and that's if you know Gary Shandling, and he's uh, a wonderfully spiritual man and a hugely funny man. But he had a a dark kind of. Uh, there's always a dark sense of the world. I can really think he he would. Um, I think he would take a lot of enjoyment from this idea that people in power all over the world have actually been <laughs> comically. It's comically evil sleeper agents. I think <laughs> that would that would that would be something that Gary, Gary's sensibilities would be drawn to. Yeah, well, I'm just imagining now, guys. Hang on, have you heard this? Have you heard this? Rip to the side, going, Ah, do it, kid, do it, kid. Sorry, another reference to the Larry Sanders show. Not one. Of the yeah, you know cards. what? That'd be. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the Hydra version of the uh, Larry Sanders show. <laughs> yeah, that would be brilliant. A Hydra talk show. <laughs> hey guys. Anyway, so. Um, Let's let, I think we. I think it's time. Uh, he's he's really sprung his wings out. He's revealed himself for who he is. Let's talk about Falcon. You're not ready. <laughs> you're not. You're not ready. What? <laughs> I know you think you're ready. He looks like a simple character, doesn't he? Yeah, he's lovely. He's got a, a flight suit. He looks like a simple character. Well, you're not ready. You're not ready for this. No one listening is ready for this. And I, I, I wish. There was an easier way of doing this and breaking it to you because he looks like the simplest character that we could discuss in this whole movie. Strap in, have yourself, put yourself a drink. I've got a rum on the go and I need it to get through this. I've got water, the last of my water. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, it's 1969. Sam Wilson is a social worker in Harlem who adopts and trains a wild falcon to be his pet, as you do. Who hasn't done that in 1960s Harlem? 1960s Harlem was full of fellas (laughs) adopting and training wild falcons. (laughs) You couldn't move for them. He causes uh, his wild falcon Red Wing. It's his best friend and his pet. Sam Wilson answers an advert in a paper from a group of men who were on an island somewhere in the Pacific who want a hunting bird, a hunting bird of prey. So Wilson is like, I've got one of them, off we go. He goes with Red Wing, his pet, to this Pacific island, only to discover, oh no, these men are all 
escaped German Nazi, German Nazi war criminals working for the Red Skull. <laughs> How have I gotten myself into this one? And it's Sam, not to be, you know, daunted by any of this, he goes on the run and he rallies the island natives who have been kind of turned into serfs by these awful Nazi war criminals. He, he rallies the island natives with him and he's like, we've got to go and fight some Nazis, guys. Come on, let's get up what we can find and we're going to go and kick their asses. And then he meets Captain America. And Captain America is like, you know what? You should wear a costume and call yourself the Falcon. So he does. He just does. And he's now Cap's sidekick. And it's worth pointing out that at this stage, Sam Wilson cannot fly. (laughs) He has no powers. He has no abilities. He cannot fly whatsoever. He, he has a pet falcon, which is why he's called the falcon. But if anything, of the two of them, the one that has the power is the falcon. Because <laughs> that's the one that can fly. So he's just got this, this, um, yeah, this, this costume that is not a flight suit. Um, and he, he can fight a little bit because Cap trains him to. Yeah. And he wears a very colourful character uh, costume, sorry, and is is Captain America's sidekick. Let me just ping you um, a picture of the of the original costume. Uh, I don't know if that's coming. Is that coming through yet, mate? Just a sec. No, it won't. Okay, bear with me. Technical problems, uh, so, guys. Technical problems. So, um, what he does is he eventually gets in touch with um, the Black Panther, mm. and the Black Panther gives him a, uh, a a flight suit from Wakanda, and says, "You can have this this flight suit. Uh, that will help you to fly. Because without it, you're not really a falcon of any kind. You're just a dude." Oh. Uh, who can punch people not as well as Captain America. I've just yeah. got the picture. He looks like he's about to do an elbow drop off the turnbuckle. Imagine having wings but not being able to fly. <laughs> like as oh, part of your costume. No. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I just realised. <laughs> Remember that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where oh, they you did know the what? wrestling? That's not, even his, that's not even his... What? What was that? Oh, yeah, with the maniac. I watched that today, actually. <sighs> The maniac. The ma- no, this this costume. That's not even his original costume, but yeah. That, that, all I can think of is uh, Birds of War. It's like they must have looked at that and gone, "Hey, we were trying to make it like that." Stomp, clap, stomp, clap, stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, Okay. Sorry. Okay, we're we 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 we're only halfway through. <laughs> then, in 1975, uh, legendary Captain America writer Steve Angelhart decides that that is all been bollocks. <laughs> He's not happy with it, so he decides to change the whole thing. He decides Falcon needs a completely different backstory. So, in Steve Angelhart's, Angelhart's story, Sam Wilson was never a nice, happy social worker... He was actually a angry young man who witnessed racism and crime on a daily basis. Whose both his parents were murdered in separate events. Ooh. Like not not Batman getting it all done nice and tidy in one go. <laughs> no, two separate murders. Um, Sam Wilson joins a street gang, a violent, angry street gang, and calls himself Snap Snap Wilson. <laughs> Snap Wilson. Stand back, folks. 
Snap Wilson coming through. And uh, on, on his way to a big score in Rio de Janeiro, he crash lands in a plane on Nazi Island. Nazi Island? And the island with the Nazis that we talked about earlier, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not called Nazi Island, but it definitely should I, be. I, I love the name. And that's where he finds and befriends a wild falcon. Oh. And that's the one part of the story that in this bit makes a little bit more sense. Rather than a man in Harlem <laughs> befriending a wild falcon. <laughs> so, the Red Skull then decides to use the Cosmic Cube. If you've missed previous episodes, the Cosmic Cube, it's known in the MCU as the Tesseract, right? The Tesseract, it, it doesn't exist in the, Mar- in, in the Marvel comic books. Mm. It, the Cosmic Cube is a separate entity to the Infinity Gauntlet. And the Cosmic Cube is just almost just as powerful as the Infinity Gauntlet. Mm. It can warp reality and time. It can do anything the, the imagination of the, of the holder can think of and unfortunately the red skull has it a lot so the red skull uses the cosmic cube to one psychically bond snap wilson to a wild falcon and two warp reality to erase his criminal past and create a new reality where snap wilson is a happy social worker and he does that just in time for sam wilson to meet Captain America and become his best friend so once they've been partners and best friends for several years the Red Skull takes out that cosmic cube and pings the Falcon back to being angry nasty Snap Wilson oh god and tries to have him kill Captain America but it doesn't work because the Red Skull mainly because the Red Skull um, gave uh, Snap Wilson a new reality with loads of happy memories so he his mind rebels against his original persona. He just goes, "I would. Why would I want to go back to that awful way of living?" No, <laughs> and it's not like the thing about the cosmic cube. You have to remember is it's not necessarily false. It's it. He it, it, it creates a new reality, right? Mm, it, it's yeah. not. It's not changing your mind or implanting a hypnotic suggestion. The cosmic cube created a brand new reality where. Snap Wilson didn't exist and Sam Wilson did. So so yeah, hence he was able to kind of cling to that, not become evil and that's been the Falcon ever since. Snap Wilson. <laughs> so that that is the origin of the Falcon. And ladies and gentlemen, I mean I think it's obvious that's what the film should really have been about. <laughs> right? Nazi Island <laughs> Uh, a wild falcon in Harlem, <laughs> a man with wings who can't fly. That's your movie. I, I, get... I hope that comes up in the new TV series they're doing with the Falcon. What do you think he's going to go like suddenly evil? Then go, I'm call me Snap, or he's going to click his fingers? And... No, I just think they should do what I just. I just think they should do all of that completely as it, <laughs> yeah. as it happened on the page. Ad verbatim. <laughs> oh gosh, I need a drink. Jeez. Oh god. So while uh, that's the story of Sam Wilson, while while uh, while Rob uh, drowns out the Snap Wilson woes, we go back to the film. The group head towards the Triskelion, but are attacked by the Winter Soldier and his men. During the fight, the Winter Soldier's mask is torn off, revealing himself as Roger's former comrade and best friend, Bucky Barnes, who was supposedly killed during World War Two. 
When Cap calls out to him, he does not recognise his own name. Bucky escapes, and Rogers, Romanoff, and Sam are taken into custody by Rumlow and his men. This this scene uh, took place on a freeway, and I swear that nearly every single action film in 2010s, <laughs> 2010s had to have a scene that takes place on a freeway, whether it's cars moving or them in the middle just fighting. You seen it in Deadpool, you saw it in the new Terminator, so many films. You know why, don't you? Why? Is it because it's the one freeway they use? Oh, no, 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 no. It's because of uh, the, the, the deep and lasting powerful influence that a certain movie had on everyone that saw it. It etched its, etched its way into everyone's minds. I am talking, of course, of the modern classic, The Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, yeah. It had that big, it had that big highway freeway scene. And if you've seen The Matrix Reloaded, you know two things: one, it's the best of the Matrix films, and two, it's the best action film ever made. I mean, that's oh god, that's, that's all I can think. Better than the that's first all one. All I can think. Better otherwise, than... otherwise, Be- listen. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, why is every other movie referencing it constantly? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair. It, it, it is an impressive scene in Matrix Reloaded, but I would say the original. I is think the best. maybe. I think. I think maybe what happened is is people went, wait, why? Why couldn't that cool scene be in a good film? Let's try. And, <laughs> let's try and take a cool scene in the on the highway freeway and put it in a. Hey, uh, another shout out, folks. Can you let us know what the difference is between a highway and a freeway? That'd be cool. yeah. I- because uh, I've I've just chopped and changed it several times there, and I don't know what I'm talking about. I I think it's colloquialism. Let's but... call it the autobahn from now on. <laughs> so, are we not? So we... the auto what? I thought I was going to get a reference by saying autobahn. Autobahn. Oh what? Because what? Because my other half is German. You think I I listen to Kraftwerk all the no. time? Well, I'll tell you what. I do. I do listen to Kraftwerk <laughs> all the time. Or is this a Big Lebowski reference? I was saying I thought I was going to get a Big Lebowski reference from you. But <laughs> okay. We cut off a chance in Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, it's okay. They're nihilists. They don't care about anything. Um, Yes, thank you very much for teeing me up for a big Lebowski reference that I let fall on the floor of the tennis court. Anyway. I know, it's absolutely dreadful. Also, on a more serious note, Bucky's reveal is quite a moment. I mean, unless you're into the comics, oh. you don't see it coming. Uh, if you're like, if you're a muggle. Did, that's what I really wanted to ask. Did, did you, watching this, did you have... Uh, going into this film, mm. and I don't want to talk about it until right now when it's out on the table because it kind of feels cool. Mm. Did you, when you saw this movie the first time, have any idea about the winters did you did you did you think that this was going to be did you when you saw the first captain america film mm. did you go oh you'll it'll come back nope. then nope i did so not you had think... no so so nope. you're sat in this do you see it in the cinema i didn't i watched it on netflix so you're sat watching it and when the reveal happened are you genuinely shocked i i, I i'm shocked and i thought it was a good use of recycling characters yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without sounding too horrible about it. Hey, hey, they found a use of that guy who fell off a train. Good for him. <laughs> God, you're. <laughs> that is such a downer. You immediately came out of the moment of the story and thought, well, I'm glad that actor's getting some more work. Oh, no, I meant the character. <laughs> will help his family. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 it was quite a reveal because you don't really see it coming. 
because there's no there's no lead up to it. There's no hint in the previous film that like he's like oh he's not quite dead. There's no scene where they go oh he's yeah. still breathing. Yeah. No nothing. It's a complete. It comes yeah. out of left field. In fact, the only the only possible hint that you have that's going to happen is when he's at the Smithsonian and he sees the thing to Bucky Barnes. Because then you go, wait a minute, why is he so important? Why is he suddenly important? But then you, re- if you're clever, uh, not as clever. I, I wasn't clever when I was watching it. I, I you should have realised that was a massive red flag for. Hey, he's going to come back later. That's why we mentioned him. Yeah, but I mean, not necessarily. It. it, 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 it it could just because that that whole scene was a, a recap of the first movie and Bucky's Bucky's a big part of that movie okay. his death yeah. haunts Cap so it, it could be like we said with that vague statement before he could go one of two ways um, mm. I don't think it's a quite a heavy handed like I watched a movie the other day and the character just said out of the blue they said is there anything else you don't like and the character said bees <laughs> I'm deadly allergic to bees and I was like <laughs> we are Ten minutes into this thing, and you've just revealed how the film's going to end. Thanks a lot. <laughs> it was just awful. <laughs> it wasn't uh, the, the remake of The Wicker Man, was it? I can't remember what film it was. It was I think I turned it off. It was just dreadful. Oh, yeah. God, that's just bad. So, uh, here he is then. The Win- oh, I know what it is now. It, oh, it's, yes. it, it's the Will Smith movie, Gemini Man, where he fights a younger version of himself. I didn't go any further. Uh, I, I got a little bit further into it, but I just kept thinking about bees and thinking, oh, I just can't. He's going to use bees to kill his younger self or something. I just I can't do I, this. I, I, it was such a terrible exposition. I, I, I had no no urge to see that film because it looked like the only thing worth taking egg was, hey, look, we use CGI to make Will Smith look younger, even though he looks young for his age anyway. It's like... I'm. I like Will Smith. I don't think he's suited to. This sounds sacrilegious. I don't think he's suited to those kind of action films. Yeah. He's suited to playing a role where he's like he did in Independence Day, where he's yep. wise cracking. Not, but but he played like a quite a stoic, serious military assassin man. And I was like, that's not Will. No. Anyway, he's he's to me he's he's going to be Agent J from from Men in Black. Yeah, that's that's another one that that, that is is really suits him. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we like to see Will Smith. Yeah, it's not that he's not good in action films. It's that he's he's really he's really only good in action comedies rather than yeah yeah. Let, this is not a Will Smith appreciation podcast. No, it's not. But anyway, here he is. Then the Winter Soldier is revealed to be Bucky Barnes. We talked about his 1940s history in the first Cap episode. Is returning from the dead something that happens in the comic books? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh bloody yeah, course. big time. It was a huge, huge story. Um, and all thanks to one writer, uh, one of the great, or I will say, one of the great authors of Captain America, Ed Brubaker. Oh, yes. Brubaker writes all of these incredible stories that we, we're seeing notes of throughout the Captain America series. And he writes them so well because he was a military kid. His dad was a naval intelligence officer, and Ed Brubaker grew up on Guantanamo Bay reading old comic books, and and he loved Captain America because of that. Mm. And he loved Bucky because Bucky was an army brat who lived on campus, and Ed Brubaker is a navy brat who lived on campus. You know, <laughs> and uh, when he when he read the very short, crappy way Bucky was killed off. He was he was like horrified. He was like, no, but there must be a, 
there must be a better story that explains the death of this and he's like nope it never happened the character's just done and forgotten and it's important to kind of we talked about the 40s history of the character when Stan kicked off the Marvel age in the 60s he was adamant that Bucky wouldn't return because Stanley hated child sidekicks Mm. He hated them at DC Comics where there was a lot of them. Robin, um, Wonder Girl, Speedy, um, uh, a lot of these recurring kind of child sidekicks. So by having a child be killed in combat and having that haunt the adult superhero, that was Stan's big message that there would be no child sidekicks in, in, in the Marvel Universe that there were some teenagers like Spider-Man but he had powers yeah, there yeah. was Rick Jones but he was a bit older and, and things but no children and especially no children in costumes going into combat Rick Jones didn't kind of do that kind of thing and and that mandate stayed in place for decades because as storytelling um, and as audiences got more sophisticated the idea of children fighting these kind of battles became inherently uh, st- stupid you know it was either it was either a terrible idea or it was very very silly mm. and pre-war so uh, previous creative teams had, had pitched the idea of bringing bucky back several times but it had always been shot down always especially by longtime marvel editor tom tom brivet now tom brivet wasn't just a Marvel... I mean, he'd done every job there is to do in Marvel. He started as an intern um, in the 60s when the Marvel age was you know, just kicking off. Um, well, around that time. And, then, and he went from being an intern to doing every job conceivable until eventually he is one of the stalwart editors of Marvel. A lot of the Marvel titles are on his shoulders and he's the guy a lot of people go to. And he would always shoot down bringing Bucky back, even if it had nothing to like. Even if he wasn't editing the comic book where it was going to happen, he would wait in and go, "Nope, it's not going to happen. This is what Stan intended. This is what he meant. This is why we're not DC Comics. We don't have Robin. <laughs> it's not happening." So, Ed Brubaker and artist Steve Epting had been. Mm, I don't know if they'd been asked to. I know that. Marvel editor-in-chief Joe Quesada had had an idea for Bucky to come back, but he didn't just say it was definitely going to happen. I think he nudged and said to Brubaker, here's a big thing you could do while you're writing Captain America. And Brubaker loved Bucky, so they came up with this pitch, and they have to pass the Brivet test. Yeah. It's got to get past... It's got to get Brivet's approval. And he quizzed them, quizzed them, quizzed them on the how... How is Bucky going to come back? How are all these things going to be explained in our continuity? Because we're not DC, right? We're not going to do <laughs> a rewrite of reality and history. How are they going to be explained? Would he not be an old man for his one? Like, where has he been? And all that sort of stuff. The how and the why. One of the key, key changes that they did, because when they brought... when they Right before they brought... Bucky back Brubaker's run contained a lot of flashbacks that Cap was having to the 1940s he was going back into his memories and he was thinking about how things were and during these flashbacks some real key changes were made to Bucky's character they didn't rewrite anything it was almost like Cap was remembering things that we'd never seen before 
So the key change is that Bucky was actually a child soldier who was efficient and who killed enemy combatants. Mm. They wiped away the, 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 the sanitized veneer of the 1940s stories uh, and changed Bucky from being a silly mascot to a cunning child character and actually a resourceful tool in espionage. He, he was able to like sneak behind enemy lines by virtue of being a child that no one suspected and then he was able to like garrot a German GI and then open the open the whatever and or decode the thingamajig and get the rest of the team in you know so what when that change was put in place and then they they had this storyline where the winter soldier legendary assassin executes the red skull some of the key figures Launches a terrorist campaign in, in, in Philadelphia. Cat begins to hunt him down. Uh, and knows that he's working for this this former Soviet general called Alexander Lukin. And then uh, after a big battle, he finally the, tears the, the, the mask off the Winter Soldier's face. And it plays out just like it does in the movie. Mm. Cap says, oh my god, Bucky... And then the Winter Soldier says, "Who the hell is Bucky?" <laughs> and then, and then vanish, vanishes, and off he goes. And it's kept. This this scene plays the the key notes of it very very similarly. So, so obviously, that when the movie did Bucky in the forties, they didn't have him be a child sidekick. They had him be like almost a bigger brother to to Steve, which is a change that makes a lot more sense. But Marvel comics couldn't do that. They couldn't. They could, but they choose not to rewrite history. They choose only to adapt and reveal things you've not seen before. Mm. So they 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 had that 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 change. So yeah, that's it is it is it is a, a comic book story, a really awesome one by Ed Brubaker, and um, yeah, it's uh, really worthwhile being there at the end. I'm I'm glad they 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 got around that. They got around that Brubaker's law. Oh, sorry, what was the what was the law they had to go around? Brivet. Bri- bri- uh, bri- uh, well, yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily. It's brivet. Pass the brivet test. The brivet um, test. The, the Marvel yeah. law used to be. The Marvel law used to be um, deaths. Uh, no one stays dead except for Bucky Barnes, um, Gwen Stacy, and Uncle Ben. Mm. And as we saw in our uh, Spider Clone Saga episode, and as we're seeing here. Two of those went out the window. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, I think yeah. Uncle Ben is the real sacrosanct one. Anyway, back to the action. While in the prison van, one of the guards stuns the other guard, revealing herself to be fellow S.H.I.E.L.D. member Maria Hill, who helps him escape. Hill takes him to a secret facility where Fury is alive and resting from his injuries. Fury had taken an anti-stress serum developed by Banner that lowered his heartbeat to one beat per minute so that he would appear dead. Hill and Fury tell them that Project Insight is only hours away and that they have to act quickly. The only way to stop it is to use three special chips that would take away S.H.I.E.L.D.'s control over the helicarriers. This feels a lot like a video game. It's like, ah, there's three yeah. different points you've got to hit with these little items. It's always the rules of threes in the in these kind of things. It just felt like a video game. Yeah, it, it, it's... Um, I think there are aspects of, of that. I, I do wonder, though, is that because video games have come to mimic cinema so much and action films so much, or is it the other way around? I, th- I, th- I think they're, uh, they're a bit of both... 
there are so many bits in video game in um, films and uh, TV that I go, ah, they got that idea from a video game because video games are at that point where they mimic films and then do their own original thing. Yeah, but I mean, I, I always I, I go back to me seeing um, some of the Lord of the Rings films for the first times, and I go. Pfft. Well, that's just like that from that other film, and that's just like that. And then you realise, oh no, every single bit of like every single bit of fantasy has ripped off Lord of the Rings for the last sixty years. Oh, totally. So it's not necessarily, you know, to you it retroactively feels like it's all coming from, you know. But maybe not. Maybe you are. Right. Mean, maybe I, it's a mix of both. I, it, it's just a rule of th- three thing with this mission felt like a video game. So. Rogers remembers a time after the death of his mother when Bucky offered him a place to stay so he wouldn't have to cope alone, promising to be there until the end of the line. Sam warns Rogers that Bucky may not be able to be taken alive, but Rogers vows to save his friend. As Rogers has lost his suit earlier, he breaks into the Smithsonian and steals his old uniform. I love that, uh, the Stan Lee cameo there where he plays the security guy. (laughs) I'm so fired. I I love the return of the classic costume personally. Yeah. I, I I think that's a, 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 I think that's far superior to the more modern one that that he he has. I, I like that they they managed to serve two they managed to serve two at once in this film. Hey, here's the old one. Here's the new one. Yeah, great. So uh, Shield being compromised by Hydra really makes you uh, wonder at this point of the film when they're getting Project Insight in place. What is the difference between the two? Because both want order just through different methods, right? Here we go. Here we go. What, what's, the, what's, your, what's your question? What's your question? What, just, what's your question? What's the difference between them? What's the difference between who? Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. I know they're overtaken. Well, Hydra wants, want, to kill, want to kill everyone that isn't white and that votes differently and, and that might have a Jewish-sounding surname <laughs> and anyone that might be a dissident. <laughs> That's not quite the same. I mean... Shield want to they're they're purists. They want to be perhaps over protective about dealing with threats first, but it's not quite the same as immediately killing like thirty million innocent people. I sound like that's the difference, Will. I sound like the worst kind of devil's advocate right now. No, but let's hear what the racists you know what? have to yeah. say. Let's go back. Let's start of the podcast, folks. What was he saying? You know what? Robert Redford's got a lot of good points about <laughs> smashing these world systems down and maybe hide. What's the difference between Hydra and Shield? You gotta kill some people. <laughs> oh wow! This will be. This will haunt me. This will haunt me. This episode's gonna haunt me. So, uh, bucket. Back to the film, though. Uh, Bucky is being prepared for battle by his handlers, but he starts to ask who Bucky is. He sees memories showing how Hydra found him after his fall from the train, being taken to Zola, who amputated a destroyed left arm and replaced it with a cybernetic one. He also remembers how he was put in cryostasis between each mission so he would not age. Pierce decides he's beginning to remember too much about his past, and then they brainwash him again. So, Bucky is constantly being frozen and woken up over the years. Is this similar to how the Winter Soldier is used in the comic books? Yeah, that's one of the... That's one of the... How how can they pass the the Brivet test? Yeah. Um, It was like, well, how is he not 90 when we bring him out of the ice? And it was... was, Yeah, it was that... that, um, 
it explains how he hasn't aged because he's only he has aged, of course, because he was a child. But he's aged by like years at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of, like a couple of years every decade or something, or or I don't know, five years in every ten or something like that. So that that's really cool. The Soviets keep taking him out of stasis for these missions, and they sell his services to to assassinate people. And of course, once the Soviet Union falls. He falls into the hands of whatever's left. Like maybe it's the a lot of the um, the Russian uh, criminal underworld that sprouted up from the remnants of the military and the and the KGB after the the fall of the Soviet Empire. And mm. he um, he in the Marvel universe, Bucky killed JFK. Yeah, that's that's he's you. There's an awful lot that's canon that. Definitely, <laughs> he does a lot of the. So he's he's pulled out and used to assassinate a hell of. He, he there's tons of of real world wars that it's revealed in the Marvel universe only happened because Bucky killed such and such a person, or he killed so and so that extended the war. Um, he killed one of Wolverine's wives, uh, Itsu Akira. Oh um, no. Yeah, score, scores and scores of others, and and every time he gets put in, put back in the ice, um, and he gets his mind wiped. Now, now, what's interesting about that to me is that that is, and this was a, a an earlier story before Brubaker and, and Epting did this with Winter Soldier. That's part of how Ultimate Wolverine is portrayed over in the Ultimate Universe. When Wolverine works for the Weapon X military program, that's all mutants. And they are all mind wiped in between missions, and because of that, they're human. I mean, they're all tortured by the human handlers, and there are awful scenes of the soldiers they've just about to, they've just, you know, served a mission with, like, like beating Wolverine and shooting him because they know one he'll heal, and two they're going to wipe his mind so he won't hold it against them the next time they're they're working a a, a mission together. Mm. Um, Absolutely awful, but yeah, there's, there is some similarities with uh, Ultimate Wolverine. I, I feel um, on the Marvel level. Oh, totally. Jeez, jeez. So anyway, back to back back to the action. The members of the World Security Council arrive at the Triskillian and are given security badges to oversee the launch of Project Hi- Insight. I was going to say Project Hindsight. That would no, no. It, 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 is there, is there a project? Ah, we could have we could have stopped things, but you know we well, but with hindsight, we could have <laughs> we could have done something. <laughs> so Rogers, Sam, and Hill break into the Tuskillian and take control of the communication system. Re- Rogers reveals to the staff that there are Hydra agents within Shield that cannot be allowed to initiate Project Insight. Rumlow and his men enter the control room and threaten to launch the helicarriers. Agent 13 intervenes, starting a gunfight with Hydra. Despite the resistance, Rumlow is still able to get the helicarriers in the air. A nice little note, Arbed from Community pops up. Uh, hey! Yeah, I know, a fantastic cameo. There's some great... Yeah. Yeah, one one that I uh, we we glazed past um, the uh, Smithsonian, mm. the voice doing the Captain America um, exposition is Gary Sinise. No, yeah, oh, Gary Sinise, what a, that's a great cameo. Yeah, yeah. okay, 
Yeah, like, it's great, isn't it? I, I, I sort of fits into the feel of it because he usually does those kind of films, doesn't he? <coughs> Period things and the like. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. Ah, excellent. Anyway, as, as well as we'd like to appreciate cameos back to the movie in the control room, Pierce pulls a gun on the council, but one of the council members pulls off a holographic mask to reveal the Black Widow in disguise. <laughs> Romanoff begins to upload all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secure files to the internet, exposing Hydra's existence and deception to the whole world. Pierce tells Romanoff that uploading the files requires two high-level security clearances, and they don't have that, which prompts Nick Fury to arrive. Pierce has wiped Fury's security... Hey! <laughs> I know! Great! Pierce has wiped Fury's security clearance from the systems, but Fury gets round by revealing that years ago he installed a backup retinal scan using his damaged eye. Romanoff uploads the files for the world to see. So Black Widow disguises Jenny Agata, you know, and pulls down the face mask to reveal herself, com- completes what I feel is the full circle that this film isn't a superhero film, but a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah man it really it really really it really feels like that doesn't it yeah yeah it it, it does and I, I and, and i think it plays to its strength but also black widow is completely awesome in this movie we've said it a few times she is awesome and this is the most we've seen her do in the mcu so far in iron man 2 we talked about her being an old uh, kgb spy but what is modern black widow like Well, she has, yeah, after a dodgy start, not a dodgy start, it's as best as could be at the time, really, in the 60s. And then she goes to this very odd time in the middle where she's just a superhero with wrist blasters. Like, they don't play up her KGB past. I mean, they do in terms of bringing in antagonists for her. They're always like KGB antagonists and people she worked with and all that kind of stuff, but She's not, she's not anything other than, uh, you know, a, a capable fighter with wrist blasters. <laughs> In the twenty first century, they start. What's what are you laughing at, bro? It's like, it's like, oh, she's a really clever spy. Now nah, she just got wrist blasters, wrist blasters. Yeah, yeah, they they had they they had sort of no idea really how to write that character yeah. to write that in. Um, so, yeah, what what happens in the 21st century, they start writing her as this secret agent. Mm. The secret agent of the superhero world, who, who doesn't... It's like I said before, there's no need for her to be on the front line getting into physical fights with Doctor Doom. That's a stupid thing for her to be doing. Yeah. That's Thor's job and Iron Man's job. With Black Widow, Doom will eat some soup one day... Realise he'd been poisoned by the new female chef he hired, yeah. who's also stolen all of Doom's yeah. secrets. That's Black Widow. That's how she should be used. It's a great, it's a missing and valuable character point in in terms of storytelling and in terms of putting together like like a, I don't know a, a, a tactical team or whatever. It's really cool. And the modern era is when they revealed a lot more about her time in the KGB, mm. the very horrible way she was trained. Which kind of then explains how, why she was such a villain to begin with. Um, she she didn't have a lot of choice in it, and she was you know treated horribly yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff, abused and forced into it, and threatened and things. And and then as things go on, she 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 works for Fu- generally. She's always working for Fury, whether Fury is in power or out of power. She's always working for Fury in some 
off the books black ops way because she's not always connected with shield she sometimes is she sometimes isn't but she she's always in the right position she's got 8 million cover identities and she's portrayed as generally being at odds with the the public nature of being a super an avenger a yeah, superhero yeah. that's not in her wheelhouse really although she does it it's it's yeah it, I think if you were to write the character right now from day one, you would never have that bit where she was a public superhero. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be. I don't know. It wouldn't suit. Her. I always found that confusing, especially in this film uh, later, where she's appearing in front of a load of people in front of a press room, and I'm like, that's stupid. That's that's one. That's the, my only complaint with yeah. this film is that it just it just felt very like this should have been handled behind closed doors, not in full view of the press. Yeah, we will get to that. We'll, yeah. we'll get we'll get to that later. But anyway, pressing resume. Rogers and Sam manage to pull it, put in the microchips with some hardship for two of the helicarriers. But when Sam is going for the last one, his jetpack is damaged by Bucky, and he is forced to skydive down to the Triskillian. Hill notifies Sam about Rumlow heading to the council. Sam intercepts him, and the two begin to fight. Rogers attempts to place the final chip, but he's confronted by Bucky. Rogers and Bucky fight, and during the fights, Rogers tries to convince Bucky of the past as his friend. I also want to point out at this point, it is quite a violent film. There is quite a bit of violence in this that I thought was a bit strong. I mean, at one point, yeah. there is a guy thrown into a jet engine. And that, yeah, that, that, yeah. It's, uh, uh, the Disney style hasn't happened yet, right? So, we've got a different sensibility. But... This, you, 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 it's such a great point, mate. This is, I think, the Russos injecting a level of chilling darkness. Mm. Not ju- th- th- there's violence here, right? But the the scene where they discover Zola yeah. and uh, Operation Paperclip and what's happened with the Nazis, uh, Hydra invading, what's going on? That's chilling, yeah. right? The idea that, that there's an iconic there's an iconoclasm to like uh, shield falling and there's lots of chilling there's darkness peppered throughout this movie and you're right the violence is kind of like a higher you know the most heightened form of it I think that is if we look if we with, with the hindsight of having seen Infinity War and Endgame we can see how much darkness that those that those two creative influences bring to the MCU and it's it's I think it's uh, sorely needed in a world of colourful characters <laughs> and, and, and quips and comedy you need that balance oh, certainly. of the funniness and the darkness as well no, ag- agreed agreed so when Cap and Bucky meet up again in the comics is it anything like this are they fighting on a helicarrier in a very tense situation um sort of oh 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 Guess what? Oh, you got a picture. Catchphrase time. Oh. <laughs> sort of, but not really. Um, <laughs> so they don't they don't fight on a heli carrier, but they are immediately at each other's throats like this. Um, so we talked about that that Soviet general, General Lukin. He wants the cosmic cube, which Red Skull has got. So he sends the Winter Soldier, and he he's he's the guy that's basically inherited the Winter Soldier from 
the, the KGB mm. days. He now has control of the Winter Soldier, and he is, uh, you know, an underworld criminal slash terrorist. So he sends the Winter Soldier to kill the Red Skull mm. and steal the Cosmic Cube. And the Winter Soldier is successful and executes the Red Skull. But what nobody knows is that a split second before doing it, the Red Skull was aware he was about to be killed. And he uses the Cosmic Cube to transfer his mind into Lukin's body. <laughs> well, into Lukin's mind. Mm. So General, General Lukin has essentially two consciousnesses in his, in his brain. Red Skull and his own oh, kind of knocking God. around, and so the Red Skull then influences Lukin, and is now basically in charge of the Winter Soldier and, and starts this terrorism campaign against America, and Cap tracks the Winter Soldier down. They have this huge fight like this. It's not in a heli carrier, but they have this huge fight uh, because the Winter Soldier has bombed Philadelphia and Ooh. he has killed innocent people. It's not cool, right? Mm. But then Cap is is able to get hold of the, of the Cosmic Cube and he uses that to restore Bucky's mind. To oh, restore nice. all his memories yeah. in, that, in that one moment. But that's brutal. That's absolutely brutal for Bucky. And, and it stops him. But he's... And he's beaten Cap, but he's haunted by guilt. So he, he runs away and goes into hiding. Ah, that's, 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 that's what guilt does. You yeah. do a bit of hiding. Yeah. <laughs> so hiding the bottom. Hide, hide, oh god, no! No, we're not talking about Iron Man again. Hiding in the bottom. Um, so we get, we get, we get, we're getting up to the last few, the last few scenes of the film. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot happening at Pierce's office. The, the upload has finished. However, Pierce refuses to be taken in and off a deadly device hidden in the access badges of the Security Council, killing them dead. Uh, and Pierce. Threatens to do the same to Black Widow, forcing Fury and Romanoff to lower their weapons. Meanwhile, the Project Insight helicarriers have connected with the satellites and are beginning to run Zola's algorithm, scanning the world for targets. See, I wrote down a note that says uh, Redford really has logic behind his actions, but I'm not going to say that because I'll get called a racist again. <laughs> What, what did you have written down? I just said, I just said, you can kind of understand the logic behind his actions, but now we, now we've, now we've tinted, tinted the entire thing with white supremacy. Uh, I, 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 I'm gonna not uh, say that. I'm gonna pretend that never existed. He says listen, while listen, mentioning listen, it on listen, the podcast. Listen. So nothing, nothing on the page or verbally spoken says that there's any racial connotations to this mm. because they're not it's kind of cleaner and it's a bit more palpable if they just say eliminate the wrong kind of people yeah yeah if they just say target dissidents and things like that but hydra are nazis <laughs> <laughs> we cannot we cannot move away from that they are right wing, far, far right. I mean, it's not even right wing. They're Nazis. They're freaking Nazis. <laughs> so when they're going to target people on their on their personal data, that means knowing who's of Jewish descent, and that means knowing who you know is Afro American, and uh, yeah, that, that. So 
that's what they're talking about. I'm going to cross um, that point out. I'm going so, to, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't have even mentioned that I was not going to mention it because <laughs> we've just spent time. What did you mean, though? I mean, so so okay. So I can I can see. So <laughs> if you found yourself backed into a corner, he uses logic to kind of how like to, to get out of it. Basically, his decisions are. He's not like a maniacal. He he he, he isn't he isn't he isn't a cackling villain. He isn't he is. Hey, Spider Man! Absolutely, he isn't, he isn't the Green Goblin. Absolutely, yeah. No, no. He's much more like Ed Norton in American History X. Someone that you can really get on board with. Oh Will. God. <laughs> You know he's got this. Uh, you can understand. <laughs> at this point, at this point, Will ruined everything by saying, "Hey, I'm not a racist, but." <laughs> okay, okay, we'll move away from we'll move away from Redford and his obvious Naziness. But anyway, no, I mean the character he plays in this film, not the actual Redford. You see, that's why you shouldn't what? have called him Redford from the start. Because <laughs> now you're going to start. Now you're on record calling Robert Redford the Nazi. <laughs> And that's going to come back to haunt you. It's, it's, hey, uh, if, if, if anybody uh, on our Patreon could uh, pay us money for my upcoming legal fees, that'd be great. <laughs> Will Preston stars in Butch Cassidy and the White Supremacist. <laughs> anyway, so this seems to be the anyway. biggest, uh, most destructive and evil plan Hydra could come up with. I mean, this is this is big. This is huge wiping out millions what can you tell us about hydra's plans this one time they conquered the entire world yeah that's evil that's pretty evil um so the the, the super soldier serum had had uh, eroded within cap and kind of come to an end and cap had become a 90 year old man as he should be so mm. That was a problem. And then the cosmic cube was used to revert Captain America to his true self. Yeah. So he becomes altered by the cosmic cube and he becomes young and he's got the super soldier serum in him again and strong and powerful and all that. The The Security Council asked Cap to become director of S.H.I.E.L.D. We talked about that earlier. Mm. He thinks Sharon Carter should do it and, and she says, no, it should be you because this mass surveillance is put in place by S.H.I.E.L.D. to root out Hydra sleeper agents in the general public domestic um domestically recruited hydra agents that could be your neighbor your father your teacher um at the same time captain marvel argues and wins the argument to have a global force field put around the entire world <laughs> the entire planet to stop invasions of any kind you know no more can the Kree or the Shi'ar or, or anyone come in with this global force field. So that goes ahead. And then, um, simultaneously, an, an army of like pretty much every single supervillain en masse attacks the White House and the Capitol, Capitol Hill mm. as Hydra attack every S.H.I.E.L.D. base. This is a mass, mass, organised... A global, you know, you know, kind of American target attack, all orchestrated, all perfectly well. The U.S. government is completely, de- it's practically decimated, and it's dire, dire, dire times. So they have this this thing in place where they hand over emergency powers to run the country to the director of Shield, which is Captain America. And that's when Captain America reveals himself to be a Hydra sleeper agent. Oh, I heard about this. I heard about this. Uh, a sleeper agent 
he reveals he's been a Hydra agent his entire life. He was a Hydra agent handpicked to infiltrate the Super Soldier program in the 40s. And all these moving parts that looked like there were other people's plans and ideas were all Hydra. And Steve Steve Rogers does not immediately, you know, he, he doesn't start to become sadistic. He doesn't start to become a cackling madman. He cares in exactly the same way he feels like he cares all along. But now he believes, or he now he reveals, he has always believed the way to achieve greatest peace is through Hydra. You'd have loved him, Will. You'd have loved him. Oh, you're never letting uh, this go. (laughs) Speaking your language. And just in case anyone thinks that this is a clone, an impersonator, an imposter, a robot, Cap picks up Thor's hammer because he is worthy and uses Thor's hammer to destroy the Avengers. Wow. And from that point on, Hydra rules the world. It's called Secret Empire. It's a fun. It's a. It's a. It's a really fun, exciting storyline. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it in my picks at the end. My my reading. Oh list. yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's the biggest. <sighs> I think the two biggest things Hydra have ever done is one the revelation that they infiltrated like the American government and Shield all along, mm. and two taking over the world with Hydra Cap. That's a biggie. That is a biggie. So back to the movie. I can't see that ever happening. Now, the only reason I've included so much detail, right, and did it now, is because with Chris Evans gone from the role, they're never going to do this, you know, in this way. So I felt, you know, we can we can kind of go into some nice fun detail here about it. Good, good. I I, I can't imagine them do, ever ever doing that in a film because it would just come to an end. But I don't know. Anyway, let's get back. Let's get back to the movie. After a gruelling fight with Bucky, Rogers manages to place the final chip on the helicarrier seconds before the weapons can fire, changing the helicarrier targets and causing the ships to shoot each other down. Pierce witnesses the destruction of his plan and tries to use this device to kill Natasha, but she uses her powerful magnet taser disc on herself, disabling the device and giving Fury enough time to shoot Pierce dead. It's a bit of a stupid failsafe, that device in the badges. That could be, oh, if you apply electricity to it, it stops working. That, 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 that. Well, it's a deep, this is a, this is a, but that's true. You, you can't build a device that is impervious to uh, electromagnetic, you know, impact, can you? Mm. you? You just, everything, every, you know, virtually every kind of weapon or device you can build can be wiped out by an electromagnetic current like that, can't it? I guess to 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 a degree, but it just felt like something like this should be. I don't know. I, I I'm reading too much of it into my testing way. You know, when she first used it on Winter Soldier's arm, yeah, I thought it, it looked to me like it's got a an arc, yeah, an arc reactor symbol yeah, on it, yeah. And as soon as I saw that, my brain went, oh. Natasha's got a way of stopping Iron Man. That's what that is. <laughs> She's got herself a powerful electromagnet 
that if she ever needs to, she can lob it onto Tony and just shut his armor down for a bit. <laughs> that's where that's why my brain immediately went there. And she's having to use it on the Winter Soldier now, but I don't think that's why she built it or 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 had it, you know, stole it or whatever she did to get it. I was convinced that is Natasha's way of stopping Tony. I I, I like that. It's a nice little fail safe in case he, his ego grows again. So, as the heli carriers... Or in case he starts hitting on her, just, oh, yeah. you know... <laughs> Anything... Hashtag me too. Oh, God. You can't tell me Tony Stark has not harassed the Black Widow. It's definitely happened. And I'm, she needs a fail In Iron Man 2, it, it did get a bit uh, overly flirty. <laughs> when he was leering yeah. at her old photos. Although... Poof. Yeah, that, that's a strong look from Scarlett Johansson in that film, though. Bloody hell. I know, I know. Love the hair as well. Maybe. Moving on, moving on, moving Mo- on. Moving on, lads, moving on, lads. As the hay carriers crash into the Triskelion, Sam is still fighting with Rumlow. He runs through the building, leaps out of a window, and is caught in midair by Fury and Natasha in a stolen helicopter. The chamber where Rogers and Bucky are fighting has been severely damaged by the crossfire between the heli carriers. Steve drops his shield and refuses to fight his friend. Bucky keeps punching and punching him. Before he passes out, Steve promises Bucky that he'll be with him till the end of the line. This causes a moment of doubt in the Winter Soldier as he seems to recognise something about Steve. The building collapses... That got me. That, what, what, that, what that, that line? That line got me. That line read the, the, the whole bit... Like, because I mean, he drops his shield and he just puts his hands down and he doesn't protect himself and he doesn't fight back. And it's something, I I don't know, I really, that whole thing of whatever you do, whatever you do, I will, I, you know, I'm not going to give up on you. Mm. That kills me, man. I love it. It's, it's, and when he says that line, Mm. if, if, and it, 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 that is Steve is saying if you're going to kill me now then you're going to kill me and that's what's going to happen yeah but I love you and I'm not going to oh, 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 that, that's, you get welled up now thinking about it brotherly love that the building oh. co- collapses underneath them they both fall into the water an unconscious Rogers plummets through the water but is saved by Bucky who drags him back to land Rumlow is buried under rubble but is later seen being saved by doctors I don't know if we can talk about him now or in Age of Ultron, but is Brock Rumlow a comic book character? Because that is a comic book character's name. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that, no, sorry. That, <laughs> Brock Rumlow. Listen, listen, I, I don't want to be disparaging to our wonderful, wonderful American audiences who, who make up the vast majority of our listeners but I don't think, I mean, to say that's a comic book name, I think you're overlooking a lot of, of American names. I think Brock Rumlow could, could well be, you know, a construction worker somewhere. Um, I, he is a comic book character. Um, he has no connection to working with S.H.I.E.L.D. or Strike. We will do the majority of him in Age of Ultron when he comes back. But he is a brutal right-wing terrorist he led a street gang called the Savage Crims in New York and during that time he assaulted a young woman who years and years and years later would go on to be Captain America's girlfriend and was haunted by this assault it's it's strongly intimated that he raped her uh, as well as assaulted her 
He's a very, very dark, aggressive, and horrific character. Um, and yeah, we'll 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 do his later life, his costumed life in Age of Ultron. But in his early years, in he, he's not connected to kind of Shield. He um, he starts off as a gangbanger, and then he joins an academy that trains people to be elite level mercenaries and, and terrorists and fighters, ran by the Taskmaster, who is someone that we have just discovered will be in the new Black Widow movie, and he's a an exciting character. And he he runs he runs a, a school and academy that. Essentially teaches you how to be a supervillain or or a mercenary or a or a henchman or something. Yeah, so that's Brock. Uh, uh, I've always been disturbed by this character. Always, my entire life, reading him in the nineties uh, and maybe the eighties as well. I've always been disturbed by by him. He sounds yeah, like an uh, yeah. he sounds like an Alan Moore character. <clears throat> he does a bit um, like the comedian. Maybe the comedian was always <clears throat> dubious like that. Or not? Let's not get it. Yeah, yeah. Let, yeah let's not cross cross yeah, it over with other no, things. Yeah. Anyway, no. let's let's get let's get let's get back. If to you'd the... like to see, if you'd like to see Marvel versus Marvel do the Watchmen movie, let us know. Get in touch. We'll we'll do uh, we'll do DC versus DC. We'll do Watchmen versus Watchmen. <laughs> Dark Horse versus Dark Horse. Vertigo versus Vertigo. All the, all the all the comics. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I like that idea. Anyway. So back to the movie. When Rogers wakes up sometime later, a lot of new events have happened. Shield is unable, unstable at the moment due to the infestation of Hydra. Fury is officially dead and has destroyed all evidence of being alive. Natasha appeared in the congressional hearing to discuss who was responsible for Shield's downfall. So we're seeing this, the downfall of Shield here. Does it fall apart like this on the page? I think you mentioned earlier, like it was the like the most sacrosanct thing. <clears throat> It's death by a thousand cuts, kind of in in the comics. Yeah, um, it does fall apart, but not like not like this. It starts to fall apart when Fury wages his secret war on a foreign nation. He he, he goes after Doctor Doom's sovereign country without, you know, government permission. He recruits a whole bunch of superheroes: uh, Spider Man, Daredevil, um, Captain America, Wolverine, Luke Cage, and I think Black Widow. And they go in undercover. That gets him kicked out of S.H.I.E.L.D. And once he gets kicked out of S.H.I.E.L.D., he starts to suspect that someone has been moving against him for a while and that the reason he was kicked out and, and, and kind of deposed and accused of treason was 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 someone moving against him. And then there are further revelations about S.H.I.E.L.D. during the secret invasion, mm. which we'll get to. And, and after the secret invasion, the president disbands S.H.I.E.L.D. and hands national security over to the Green Goblin. Oh, yeah. He hands national security over to Norman Osborn. And Norman Osborn creates uh, an organisation called Hammer to replace S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's that that time, during what is called in the, in the Marvel comics, Dark Reign, which is when essentially America is kind of being protected slash ran by Norman Osborn and his cabal of um, his Illuminati cabal of, of secret dodgy folk like Doctor Doom and um, and the Hood and these people during this time Fury discovers Shield has been infested with Hydra since the very beginning and it was 
that's when it all it's already fallen apart but that's when he becomes uh Nick Fury agent of nothing that's the one of the you know he used to be he's been Nick Fury agent of shield for decades shield goes away and he's refuses to go away with it he's Nick Fury agent of nothing agent of nowhere he puts together these secret warriors which is something that's cropped up um several times in in the agents of shield series and I think there's some more TV projects linked to to, to the Secret Warriors. Yeah, it's it, it's death by a thousand cuts. One one disaster after another, one revelation after another. The whole thing came tumbling down, and pretty much all of that orchestrated by that writer we talked about before, Brian Michael Bendis. Um, yeah, really, really, really cool stories. Yeah, man, it sounds it sounds intense. So we're coming up to the last of the last few scenes now of the movie. Because all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secure files were uploaded to the internet, along with Romanus' past, she sets out to find herself a new identity after handing Rogers a file with information on Bucky and his experimental origins. Sam offers to help Cap find answers. Sometime later, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker is holding the scepter inside the Hydra research base in Sokovia, stating that there are Hydra agents worldwide he then walks over to a pair of cells, one containing a man who is running around at tremendous speed, and the other contains a woman who levitates objects before causing them to explode. So we're being teased, three big characters at the end here. So briefly, give us a little bit of info mm. on Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. Uh, Nick Fury's number one opponent and an opposite number, the guy that is run, run Hydra... Um, for for pretty much, I mean, not the entire time because they have internal disputes. But he's like the the, the long term leader of Hydra. He's too evil for the Nazi Party. That's why he split off and uh, split off from Red Skull and and formed this. And he has had agents inside of Shields and every major government organization in in the world. He has his own island, like a Bond villain. He, once brainwashed Wolverine into being his personal ass- assassin. Mm. And there's this scene when Fury discovers that Strucker has actually been essentially running S.H.I.E.L.D. In, or pulling the strings one way or another. And Strucker finds out that Fury knows. And he says this line, which is that um, you're, we've both been dancing this dance for many years <laughs> and only now... Do you hear the music? Ooh. Which is just a, oh, a cool, just a cool villain line, and yeah, it was it, yeah, is it is it is a really cool cool kind of villain. Yeah, he's had spots of being absolutely terrible, as many long-standing sixty-year-old characters have, but he's 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 fun. He sounds good. We'll, we'll come. Oh, I mean, not fun, not fun. He's a Nazi, but you know. Oh, what's that? Fun Think for it, a Nazi. What's that, Rob? You think Nazis are fun now? Oh. <laughs> Oh, I saw it. think I was the bad guy in this podcast. <laughs> but anyway, there's one more final scene that draws the film to a close after the end credits. Later on, Bucky is at the Smithsonian Institution where he finds a whole section of the Captain America World War II display dedicated to him as the movie comes to an end. And there we are. That's the Winter Soldier. Done. I mean, one of our biggest episodes, but <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Worth it. Worth it. Right? Yeah. 
you can't tell me you cannot tell me this has not been worth every minute this has just been so much to discuss and the universe the Marvel Universe opens up so much with this movie the dark shades come in so much with this movie yes um, what a fantastic ride Will give me your final thoughts on this on this badass film I I, 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 I think it's the best Marvel film so far I think it's better than the Avengers. Yeah. I think it's yeah, yeah, best one so far. Yeah, yep, no question, no question, no question. You can email in and tell us you've got a different opinion. You're wrong. You're basic. <laughs> no question. Best, absolutely hands down, best MCU movie up till this point, at least anyway. And there's a strong argument can be made. Will. Mm. It's the best one overall. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying I've had that opinion expressed. We've had that. We've seen that. People got in touch saying it's their favourite. Not just Captain America, but it's their favourite MCU movie. And and that's a strong... That's an opinion that holds weight around here. Yeah? Yeah. Well, then, i got to say, I, I want to know... Um, what's been your favourite piece... <laughs> Of Marvel trivia that we've uncovered and 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 chatted about in this episode. There's I, been a lot. I think it might be. Was it was it Snapper Wilson? Snap Wilson. Snap Wilson. Snap Wilson. What a name! What a name! <laughs> hey, and Snap Wilson. Stop looking at me. I've got a pet falcon. Yeah, I'm just your your average street thug with my own pet wild falcon. I have. I've got a fight with the greasy sharks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a great bit. Listen, we're, we're, before we uh, well, let yeah okay, let's just um, oh, folks want the reading list, don't they? Um, that's a new segment to the show that I always nearly forget. Folks are after um, a reading list. People have been in touch and said, oh, when you mention those comics, I really want to know what you're talking about and what ones you should go and read. So we put it together for you so that you can pop off there and, and go and track down some some of the awesome stories that we've talked about. Um, I, I, well, obviously, the number one thing to recommend is the Brubaker run that kind of brings this together and influences this this story. Um, Ed Brubaker's Captain America uh, run has big, big omnibuses that will put together. You can get hard cover and soft trade paperback omnibuses that will put together the whole thing. They're usually quite expensive, but you can find that in. Um, you know the, the the I think they're literally just called Captain America Ed Brew, Ed Brubaker Omnibus, but if you want to do a slightly cheaper version, you just to see dangle your toe, <laughs> dangle your toe if, if you like yeah. it. Um, you can you can check out um, it, it's it's Captain America Volume Five. It's literally called Steve Rogers and the Winter Soldier, uh, written by Ed Brubaker. You can't you know miss with that one. Um, that one will the. the that one will get you get you the start of it, but you can also check out Captain America Winter Soldier Ultimate Collection, um, and then that follows by the Red Menace Ultimate Collections. A lot of a lot of cool cool stuff going down in there. I, I, I we we talked about the 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 big big story modern story of Hydra Cap. You can check that out in Marvel's Secret Empire. 
Um, that's that's a very modern story. If you want to check out those earlier stories we talked about, where Captain America kind of, um, you know, uh, abandons being Cap and becomes Nomad and things like that, check out. This is going to be confusing because a secret empire has two meanings in Marvel. <laughs> so, on its own, Secret Empire is the is the big long story where where Hydra Cap is revealed. If you want to go for the earlier ones, check out Captain America and the Falcon Secret Empire. And then right after that, Captain America and the Falcon Nomad. That's when Cap becomes this different identity. And then in the 1980s, Mark Greenwald's um, collection, check out Captain America, The Captain. You can get that in trade paperback. And that's a, a collection of the, of the time when uh, he, he becomes the Captain and gets this cool new black costume and the Super Patriot becomes Captain America and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's that's a really that's a really cool collection. And, you know, it, you can check all of this info and stuff out up on the Patreon site. Um, and we'll just we'll just do one last thing. We forgot to do this earlier, Will. Mm, we oh, had our yes. first uh, gift sent to us by, by someone on Patreon. One of our wonderful supporters and fans on Patreon <laughs> has made badges oh, for no. the show. Oh, let's see. So the first badge is <laughs> that is a badge. That is the comic book code authority stamp on a badge. Oh, that's lovely. Will, that's going to be winging its way to you real soon. Oh, fantastic. And uh, we've also got some. Um, I, uh, this is, I'm sorry, I neglected to say this is from Peter J. Burns. One of our early, early um, patrons and, and, and pledges supported us since really early days, and we really love the support. Thank you so Pete. much. Um, so he's made these badges. There's comic the the approved by the by the Comics Code Authority badge. I've got a special one. Can you read that? <laughs> sort of, but not really. Oh, that's perfect. So I've got my catchphrase on a badge, and Will, you've got your own as well. You can wear this badge proudly, which says the, the format, format is intact. intact. <laughs> so uh, you can wear that at all times, and we'll know the format is intact. Uh, Will, I'll be winging some of these over your way real soon. Uh, we'll put those pictures up so you can see them as well. And we might, I, I mean, I'm tempted to try and see if Pete would, would, would uh, create some for our wonderful listeners that might want them. They could perhaps be rewards that we have as, as one of the tiers um on, on on patreon so uh so that's that how how fun is that how cool that is, is that thank that you so, Pete. Cool. so so much those are really awesome really creative those comic code authority stamps are just the best um check is check us all out on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel get in touch don't forget you can pledge subscribe become a patron and then you can pick one of the non-MCU movies that you want to make us do and cover here on the podcast. The first part of that, thanks to Steve Isaacs, is going to be in the next episode where we tackle X-Men 2. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please rate, subscribe, like us, send us a review, and hey... Why not recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel comics or movies? Don't forget to watch along with X-Men 2 for the next episode.